If you wish to become a complete and wise leader, you must embrace a larger view of the force. Welcome, everyone. My name is DeVore, and you are listening to episode 11 of A Larger View of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. A reminder, as always, if you're a first-time listener, please check out our earlier episodes and make sure you're subscribed so that you get new episodes as they drop. On this episode, we will be talking about The Force Awakens. The Force Awakens introduced us to a whole new era and cast of characters in the Star Wars universe. And it is now officially old enough to go to kindergarten. Since we're at the five-year mark, I thought it'd be fun to look back at the lead-up to the movie, talk about some of the highlights of the movie itself, and basically where we thought the sequel trilogy would go from there. And joining me for this look back is an absolutely phenomenal guest. I truly could not be more thrilled to have her on for this conversation. So without further ado, let me introduce her. So she's got a pretty long CV, so fingers crossed that I have it all down here. She is the associate editor of UT, a producer for Legends Lookback, the founder and editor-in-chief of Project Stardust, the host of Starboard Dawn, and perhaps most importantly, a fellow Sabine Wren superfan, Meg Dowell. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Hey, it's good to be here. Did I get it all? Was that everything? You you did get it all. It's a lot, but you did it. So good job. (laughs) All right. So before we get into the topic du jour, I like to start with the guests a little bit of an opener by asking about your journey into Star Wars, basically how you became a fan, how your fandom evolved, and so on. So if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So my dad saw the original Star Wars movie when it came out in 1977. He saw it 11 times, and he loves to share that fact every time he mentions it, so I do the same. So when I was younger, like Star Wars was like, I never would have been able to avoid becoming a fan, pretty much. Because he loved it so much, he kind of just, it kind of just rubbed off on me and like my brother too. Um, And I remember when The Phantom Menace came out on video, my brother just watched it over and over and over. And of course, I was there. So it's like the entire dialogue for that movie is like burned into my brain forever, which is fine. I don't mind. But I remember watching all of the movie. I wanted to watch all the movies like all the way through for the first time. Um, And I was probably about nine or 10 at this point. And so I'd watched everything up until um, Attack of the Clones. And so I sat down and I watched that one and I was so excited and I was like, okay, they got married. That's a big deal. And so I ran to my dad and I was like, dad, I got to watch the next one. But episode three hadn't come out yet. This is like 2004 or whatever. Um, Or whatever year it was, whatever math. Um, So (laughs) I was so disappointed. I was like, there's no more Star Wars because there really wasn't at that point. Like there wasn't a lot of like right now we have all the shows and like you can pretty much watch Star Wars like always and never have never like run out. Uh, That wasn't the case then. So naturally, I went to the library and started reading the books. 
you know, and since then, it's just been like a constant in my life. And like, I've like, I think like in college and grad school kind of like fell out of it a little bit. Like I still loved it, but it was kind of like, I don't have time for this. Like, and trying to figure out like what Star Wars really meant to me in my life. But I did watch a lot of the Clone Wars series, like the early seasons um, when it was on TV. And I'd never seen like the whole thing. And I wasn't watching it that closely, but I remember like loving Ahsoka. I was like, this is such a cool character. Um, So when I found out that a novel was coming out called Ahsoka about Ahsoka, like my favorite character ever, um, even though I didn't know her whole story at that point, I was like, there's a new Star Wars book coming out. I want to read that. So I did. And from that point on, it was like, okay, I remember now. I like Star Wars a lot. And now, of course, it's like my entire life, pretty much. So uh, it's just like, I I am a storyteller. Stories just matter so much to me. And like, you can get so much meaning out of every single story in Star Wars for real life, even though Star Wars is fictional. Um, It just means so much to me. It's taught me so much. And I think there's so much to learn for everyone who watches it. Yeah, definitely. I absolutely agree with that. I think, you know, I've had a couple guests on the show so far. I think you might be the first to have mentioned like books as a kind of important gateway into the larger fandom. They are so important. And, you know, there's this whole thing like, oh, you know, legends are legends. So like, do those books even matter anymore? Of course they do. It like, you might have grown up with those books, or you might still just be discovering them. And it's like, even though they're technically not considered canon, like they're not considered part of this current timeline that we're in, the stories are still, there's so many good ones and it's still Star Wars and there's still so much to get from it. And it's like, you can enjoy it all still. And books are just like, I love the fact that even though there's this argument that like, you shouldn't have to read a book to understand a movie, which I totally understand and agree with. I love that, Take like the certain point of view books, for example. I love how like there could be like a character that's on screen for like five seconds in a movie and you get an entire story about them in a book and you're like, they they were no one. And now they have this entire backstory. I think that's fascinating. I think it adds so much to the universe and that just makes me so excited. Yeah, absolutely. Like this year was the year that I really started diving into the canon novels. Mm-hmm. And so that's really like opened up star wars in a way that like even watching the tv shows didn't do or like increasingly the movies are like it kind of has this effect as you get deeper into the canon of like kind of decentering the the movies where like the movies still matter obviously and they're the kind of the anchor point for the whole franchise but like the universe is so much bigger than just the movies yes and i love that yes i i love that the expanded universe as it's called is always continuing to expand it's like especially recently when we got a bunch of news about there being more Star Wars coming, it kind of like hit me. I was like, oh, Star Wars is like forever. Like it's never stopping. That's really cool. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, that's, it's really, really awesome. Yeah. So today's conversations, of course, going to be focused on one of those expansions of the Star Wars canon, which is the expansion into the sequel trilogy. So for most of the conversation, What I want us to do is to try as best as possible to get into the mindset of where we were at the time, particularly like in the lead up to The Force Awakens and then like during The Force Awakens and then the immediate Mm -hmm. aftermath. And to try and kind of set aside and block out our knowledge of where things go. 
in, in terms of the story, not because necessarily things go badly, but mainly just because I think it can be a kind of fun and valuable exercise to try and like excavate out that mindset and like try to think, like, oh, like what were we thinking about? And where did we think the story was going to go back in 14, 15, early 16? Right. So the first point that I want to take and winding the clocks back is go all the way back to October of 2012. So in October of 2012 is when we got the announcement first that Lucasfilm was getting sold to Disney and also that we were getting a new trilogy. So what do you remember about that time? I remember it really being like, no one really knew what Disney quote unquote taking over meant because like companies like, acquire franchises all the time it just happens and you don't know it's not always like a huge deal and disney does it you know quite frequently um with different things but disney um you know kind of like acquiring star wars was like wow no one really saw that coming and we were like well what like what is star wars gonna look like like is it gonna be the same that we've always known and i remember hearing that there was just going to be more star wars because it had been a long time since like even the last animated movie and we were all kind of like, well, what, what now? So knowing that like more was coming, even though we didn't know what that, what that was going to look like, that was so exciting. Yeah, absolutely. It was the same for me because I obviously, you know, you probably had this experience and like a lot of Star Wars fans had the experience, which is like walking out of Revenge of the Sith thinking like, that's it. They're not going to be any more movies. It's over. The story's been told. Yeah. So, yeah, when that announcement came, because I wasn't, in my case, I never really got into the old EU and I wasn't really watching, I didn't watch Clone Wars, either the movie or the TV show. So even though there was that like extra canon material, I wasn't like plugged into it. So Star Wars for me at the time really was just the movies. Yeah. So when that announcement came, that really was like Star Wars coming back in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember just like, wanting to like pick up the books again and kind of be like I don't know what's coming but like I want to get back into Star Wars because I had been out of it for a little while and like just knowing that like we could prepare for more somehow that was great so yeah we get that announcement in October 2012 we're getting a new trilogy of movies the first one is coming out at the end of 2015 get the release of you know the, the title of Force Awakens and then we get our first looks at at The Force Awakens, both through just like images that were printed and then ultimately through the trailers. So so tell me about like your your first time like watching those. Particularly, I'm thinking about like that first teaser trailer for The Force Awakens and I'm particularly that first full trailer for it, your reactions to it. I I couldn't believe it. Um, cause, <laughs> well, because like I think what I remember most is like the Chewie were home, like Han Solo walking on the screen. Like I kind of just sat there and I was like, this is really happening because like a lot of legend stories, like they went way far beyond in the timeline past Return of the Jedi. So like Han and Leia and Luke were like way older. And you always wondered like, I wonder what that would be like. And, And obviously that's kind of where we were at that point. And I was like, they're really like, they're really bringing some of the original actors back. Like this is really happening. And like, there are oh, so many of these trailers these past five years have been so good. And this one, it, it really did exactly what it needed to do was get 
me and everyone else like so so excited and like the months leading up to that like from the trailer to the movie were like they're not going fast enough <laughs> yeah like i remember because i did i did on the show a few episodes ago i did an episode about all about star wars trailers and i was talking about the force awakens and like i, I have a distinct memory particularly of that force awakens teaser trailer that first one where you get that like shot of the Millennium Falcon when they're getting chased on Jakku, which we'll talk about when we get to the movie. Like, and I just have like distinct memory of watching that and just like being so stoked. Like that that trailer in particular, like the one I compare it to most is like the teaser trailer for the Phantom Menace. And like, cause that's a, that's another like big high moment in terms of like Star Wars trailers. Because it really did like what that trailer did too, which is like it really just kind of opened you up to this world and like built up as you were talking about just like that energy and that excitement and that like anticipation to get like get thrown back into the world of Star Wars. Right, exactly. I'm curious if you had any initial reactions, you know, before ever even seeing the movies about like, I was trying to figure out exactly how to phrase this, but like the best I can do is sort of like the aesthetic direction that the sequel trilogy was taking, which is to say that like the fact that it was hemming so closely to the original trilogy. Cause if we look at like, for example, if we compare it to the prequels, when we saw that those, you know, those initial images and the trailers and stuff from the prequels, it was clear that we were getting like a really, really different world, right? We were not going to see anything in terms of like vehicles or creatures, anything really like what we got in the original trilogy versus with the sequel trilogy, we were seeing TIE fighters and we were seeing X-Wings and we were seeing things that look like Star Destroyers. Right. So I'm curious if you had any like thoughts or reactions to that, like whether you liked that or whether you thought like they should have gone and done something like the prequels and like given us something totally different. I think it had, it had been so long since we've gotten, since we had gotten a movie at that point, I think I personally was okay with it kind of feeling a little similar to what we were used to compared to the original trilogy, just because like new Star Wars is great. And like whenever they do new things in Star Wars, I'm like all here for it. But it was like very, very comforting. And it really did feel like coming home. And, you know, and well, I'm sure we'll talk about this more. But I think that it was really important that they did that because you can say it was like maybe a little too similar. But I think that served everyone better in the long term just because like it is kind of it did kind of end up showing you like yeah it's similar but like there are more layers i liked it i was fine with it yeah i think i was too ultimately in part because i'm an ot kid and like that's my trilogy so like you know it's for me it's like give me tie fighters give me x-wings give me star destroyers like i'll just gobble that up all day every day (laughs) so I had no problem with that. And then I think ultimately, as you're sort of alluding to, and we'll, you know, talk about this when we get into, into the meat of the movie itself. Like, I do think it works really well for the type of story that they wanted to ultimately tell, not just in The Force Awakens, but over the entire arc of the sequel trilogy. So I think I think that similarity and those like those kind of aesthetic cues and parallels, I do think ultimately worked really well in the narrative. And I mean, like, apart from those things, right, apart from the fact that we were seeing these sort of similar things, I think one of the things that I remember getting emphasized a lot in the lead up to The Force Awakens was the parallels in terms of, like, the actual cinematography and how they were doing the movie. Like, I remember a lot being talked about about 
the fact that they were going back to practical sets and they were doing a lot of that, that they were kind of moving away from a lot of the heavy computer graphics that you saw in the prequels. Mm-hmm. The fact that we got, for instance, the casting of relative unknowns, that kind of callback to the original trilogy. Although I guess technically, in a way, they also sort of did it with the prequels, like, because I, th- I think you and Natalie, I think like, they were all like relatively not that well known, at least compared to how they are now. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that like we got this main cast of characters who we all didn't know that well. So harkening back to what they did with the original trilogy, even the fact of because I was watching maybe a month or two back, I watched the the making of documentary for The Force Awakens. And in there they were talking about the fact that like they were shooting on film, whereas the prequels had been all shot on digital. And they were going back to film because the original trilogy had been shot on film. So all of that kind of returning to that original source material and sort of trying to do it as close to how it was done back in the 70s and 80s. I remember that being just a real big point of emphasis in the run-up to the movie. Yeah. So so that was all about in terms of the lead-up to the movie. So let's actually get into the meat of The Force Awakens itself and start talking about the movie. So first things first, we get that opening crawl. And this has, The Force Awakens has my favorite opening line in a Star Wars crawl. Luke Skywalker has vanished. Great opening line. I really love like punchy opening lines that are just like, it's just like short and sweet. Like that is an absolutely fantastic. And I love that because like we didn't know that. I was, you know, like one of the tropes about Star Wars is like you basically know nothing about these movies going in. And so like we knew nothing about the premise of The Force Awakens apart from like the little bits that we'd been given about like who the characters are and who their backgrounds were. So seeing that as like the very first sentence of the crawl, it's like, oh man, like things are serious. Yeah. Did you have any other like reactions or thoughts about the about the opening crawl? Not too many other than just being like totally excited that we are getting another opening crawl because I always cry during them because like it's just so cool um what I do love about that opening line though is the fact that we still do not see Luke Skywalker until like the last five seconds of the movie I just love that yeah I love how that works yeah yeah, yeah, that's really great. I'm glad that they kind of left him there. Yeah. I'm curious, actually, now that we're talking about, like, the openings and the opening crawl, were you, like, when you went to watch it the first time, were you, like, slightly thrown off by the absence of the 20th Century Fox fanfare? I, you know, I don't remember. I don't think so. I think, like, it was one of those, like, oh, I noticed that it wasn't there, but kind of it kind of just kept going anyway. Because, I mean, for me, as soon as I see... A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, I'm gone. Like, I'm just in tears. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it is like, it is still kind of weird because like having watched, you know, the original movies for so long and not always being there. Yeah. 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 The, I, th- I think this, the silent opening did throw me like a little bit because you are just used to like all the like the big fanfare yeah. and all of that. So, yeah, that they just like cut to the silent, like the Lucasfilm and then right. a long time ago. But yeah, so we get that intro and then we go into... We cut basically away to, well, first we get like the troop transport of the First Order going down to Jakku. We get that great interior shot that was like in the original trailers where like the lights are flickering and you get to see all the stormtroopers like lined up. And then we get to the ground to the Jakku encampment. And we get the first line there from uh, from old Lore Santeca that a lot of people have interpreted as a pot shot to the prequels, him giving Poe the little, like, I guess, USB drive or whatever you want to call that, (laughs) and then saying, this will begin to make things right. (laughs) I did not read that at the time. That was, like, one of those things that, like, 
I think probably years later on, I saw people commenting on and saying like, oh, like that was JJ taking a shot at the prequels. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't read it like that either. <laughs> so yeah, so we get that. And then just before Poe manages to make his getaway, we get the arrival of the First Order and the attack on the encampment. And I gotta say, like, The Force Awakens is the first time where I really felt as though the, like, stock troops or whatever, the enemy, were genuinely menacing. Mm -hmm. Like, with the OG stormtroopers in the original trilogy, like, there was a sort of feeling that they wanted them to kind of be menacing and imposing, but ultimately they really weren't. Yeah. Like, they, they didn't come off that way. Maybe that's just, like, part of the like the age and the fact that it was like in the late seventies and then like the battle George, I mean also like them getting like defeated by teddy bears and return of the Jedi didn't help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> You kind of lose all the menace factor <laughs> at that point. And then when we get to the prequels, we get the battle droids and they were always kind of a comic relief. Mm-hmm. Like they were never really set up that like, you should be terrified of these battle droids. Cause like, whatever like 15 20 minutes in they're like going roger roger and getting cut apart yeah. by jedi <laughs> it's really like with, with the sequel trilogy and the first order and the stormtroopers and the attack on that encampment that i really felt like oh my god like these guys are actually like dangerous yeah i mean especially um putting captain phasma there yes and kind of showing like oh like she's ruthless and she's gonna make sure that like all of her troops like just no survivors. That's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. You really get that kind of like battle hardened quality to them. Yeah. And, you know, it might be in part like the reason for that and that kind of ruthlessness that you were talking about. It might just be a function of the fact that, like, in a way, the first order is like sort of the rebels of the trilogy in the sense of like, not in the sense of like that they're the good guys, but in the sense of like they're the ones fighting the ruling government. And so, like, they're much more kind of hard scrabble in the in that way than like the Empire is. Yeah. Why did I never think of it like that? Wow. <laughs> I, I promise you, I never like thought of them as like the ones rebelling against. But that's true. That is amazing. Yeah, yeah they wow. they are the rebels, and like so. We're like that, that. The other like weird thing is like I remember seeing it was probably on Twitter that I saw this or, or something like that, and it like totally changed like how I was thinking about the prequels. That like the separatists are sort of like that also. They're kind of like the rebels of the prequels. Yeah. Hmm. And then yeah, just the way that like that whole opening attack is shot like you mentioned like with that introduction to phasma and then we get that like flame trooper lighting stuff on fire and then like the one stormtrooper that like finn goes over to and he puts like the blood like he touches his helmet and he has like the blood stain mm-hmm. like i remember that really standing up because you don't get a lot of blood in star wars yeah exactly i think i was even trying to think like before we started recording about like other times and, like the only other thing i could think of was like ponda baba's hand getting cut off yeah, that's like the only other thing that I can think of too. That w- where you actually see like blood. Yeah. So yeah, I remember that like being in like being in the theater and watching it for the first time and like seeing that and being like, wow, like they're really like leaning into that like the battlefield intensity. And then from there, as the stormtroopers are kind of attacking and rounding up the villagers, we get the entrance of Kylo Ren. So we see his shuttle coming down, which I really really like. I like that shuttle. Yeah, me too with the like with the wings that kind of like the top part kind of folded in yeah 
And he even has a kind of like his introduction sort of like mirrors Vader's introduction and new hope in the sense of like, he's got the stormtroopers and then he like walks out and he even, he even like looks side to side the way that Vader does. Oh yeah, he does. When he boards uh, the Tanta V4. So yeah, so we get our introduction to Kylo Ren and he goes over and talks to Laura Santeca. And I feel like the movie does a really good job of kind of establishing Kylo as this like badass formidable figure really really quickly like because he has that conversation with lore and he's like saying you know like i'll show you the dark side and then obviously like he kills him and then that like that great moment where like poe shoots him and he catches the blaster bolt with the force i love that moment it's like one of my favorite moments so cool it really is. Yeah, like that really we'd never seen before. And I love that bit where like the stormtroopers are dragging Poe over to him and he's like still like staring back at the blaster bolt yeah. as it's like hovering there. He's like, like, what the hell is that? Yes, I love that. So one thing that I want to ask you about out of this conversation that we get between Kylo and Laura Santeca, where they're kind of like going back and forth and we get that first sort of allusion to like Kylo's past and that like he sort of came from that like he didn't start in the dark side, he kind of turned to the dark, is there's this line that Laura Santeca said. And here I'm like, at the, at the start of the episode, I mentioned how like, oh, like I want us to kind of like focus in on just like the moment and not kind of think about the sequel trilogy. And now I'm going to be a hypocrite and ask a question about the sequel trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my prerogative on the host. So I will violate my own values. So Laura Santeca has this line where he tells Kylo you cannot deny the truth that is your family. And in the wake of the rise of Skywalker and everything that we get there about Rey's lineage and then her ultimately, you know, going from Rey Palpatine to Rey Skywalker, I remember seeing a lot of people in the aftermath of Rise of Skywalker going back to that line and that moment and pointing to that and like trying to, and making the case that there was a kind of internal contradiction within the sequels basically saying like, oh, like here's Laura Senteca telling Kylo, like you can't deny the truth of your family. And then saying like, oh, well, like doesn't Ray kind of do that when she becomes a Ray Skywalker? So I'm curious if you had like any thoughts about that or if that like sort of crossed your mind or you heard that argument. I, I think I probably have heard that here and there just with the whole Ray Skywalker thing, because there are a lot, you know, there's two sides to that. And a lot of people are just, they're not for it. I... I really like that line. And I personally feel like Ray Skywalker is more of like, instead of like, how do I want to phrase this? I think for me, her action and her choosing the Skywalker name is more of like, I'm not denying who my family is, who I'm related to. I'm accepting it. And I'm saying, no, thank you. I don't want this. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of, it's not, so much as I don't believe that this is true. It's more of like, I see that this is the truth and I refuse it. That's kind of how I see it. And I think with Kylo in that moment in The Force Awakens, he really is trying to just not even accept where he's come from. Like he doesn't even want to think about it. Um, So that's how I see it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, and and I think I'm sort of with you there in a similar way because like, I mean, I think about it in the case of Kylo is like, the contrast is like, Ray, on the one hand, like, she knows she's a Palpatine and, like, she sees Palpatine for who he is. Like, she understands, yeah. like, what he is. Whereas, like, in the case of Kylo, is like, 
he has a mistaken understanding of who his grandfather is. Yeah. Like he thinks his grandfather is Darth Vader. Right. That's what he thinks of. Like he doesn't think of his grandfather as Anakin Skywalker. Right. He thinks of him as Darth Vader. So I think like, I think in that way it is a little bit different where like, I think you can make the case that like Kylo is sort of denying the truth of his family and his lineage. He's choosing to kind of erase the fact that Anakin made this turn at the end of his life and that he rejected Darth Vader and that he came back to the light. Whereas like Ray has no illusions about her grandfather. Right. And who he is. And like, I think the other thing about the difference between the two of them is like, I think the other way that you can kind of like square the circle there is like to kind of go back to that star Wars motif of found family in the sense of like Ray in taking on the name of Skywalker is choosing the Skywalkers as her family. Right. So she's sort of embracing them. So if you go to that like notion of like family is the people you choose as opposed to the people that you are related to by blood. Right. I think you could say in that way that like she is in fact embracing the truth of her family because she sees Luke and Leia as her true family. Whereas like when like Ben makes the turn to Kylo and he like goes to Snoke, he's not like taking Snoke as his family. Right. He's not seeing Snoke as a father figure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Yeah. Because Kylo is kind of like, he's really, he just wants to, family to him is just like, it's more about like what he wants and what he wants the galaxy to be. And he wants to be, you know, at the top of that and like, um, kind of in control of that. And he doesn't want anyone else around to be like, no, you can't do that. Or like, he, he doesn't want that, which is, you know, an interesting comparison when you compare Ray at the end of Rise of Skywalker, just because she does the exact opposite. Yeah, exactly. So from there, we get the exchange between Kylo and Poe, which I absolutely love. Like, I love their back and forth. (laughs) I think it sets up the, like, the tone and the humor of the movie really, really well. Yeah, agreed. That you get the, like, who talks first? You talk first, I talk first. (laughs) And, like, it's really hard to understand you in the mask. (laughs) I love Poe whenever he's interacting with the enemy because he's just like, I am so, like, I I don't like you. I'm so over you. And he just, it's all jokes and I love it. Absolutely. Yeah. And it even feels like a little bit of like, there's like a little bit of like Star Wars making fun of itself in there. Yeah. I think also. But yeah, so, so at that moment, you've got Poe getting dragged away to the First Order. I like that little moment where like Kyle was holding that blaster bullet and he just like lets it go and it like slams into the pole. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. And then we get that nice little shot of like, you've got Finn all through the battle sort of like basically internally kind of flipping out. Like you don't see his face cause he's got the helmet on, but you can see that he's in obvious distress. Yeah. And then like, you know, Phasma giving the order to fire on the villagers and he's just kind of like standing there. He just kind of holds up his gun and doesn't really shoot. Yeah. And then you get that great little moment where like Kylo stops and he like looks over at Finn and they just kind of like, they stare at each other for a moment and then he kind of keeps going. Yeah. Before we sort of move on from there, I just wanted to get your thoughts and like what your reactions were to basically the kind of setup of the movie. Cause that's what we also get in that initial scene, basically the premise that's going to drive the whole movie, which is that Luke is missing. The whole resistance is looking for him. And then you've got this piece of a map that Laura Senteca has given to Poe, who's then given it to BB-8 to escape. And like, that's the whole kind of plot of this movie, which is the first order in the resistance trying to get this piece of the map to ultimately find Luke. So like, what were your sort of 
reactions to that plot? Did you like it? Were you indifferent to it? I really liked it. And I remember really liking the fact that the movie was about Luke without it being about Luke. I, I really felt like I didn't want an entire movie starring Luke Skywalker. Like, obviously, Luke Skywalker is a key character, and I want him to be in it, and I want yeah. him to be important. But the fact that we learned that they were going to introduce a bunch of new characters and be searching for this character that we know and love, and so it is about him, but the entire movie is not, like, featuring him. Like, I lo- I kind of loved that because I'm like, oh, they're, like, merging these two things. Like, they're bringing in familiar things that we love, but they're also doing new things within the story that feels familiar but has so many new elements to it. I really, I was just, I was so mesmerized in those moments, in those first moments of the movie, just because like we're we're seeing Star Wars again. No, but <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I'm like, okay, so Luke's not here, but they're looking for him. This is great. We got this. I'm ready. Yeah, I really like that point of like Luke as the, being this kind of looming presence, even if he's not actually on screen, mm-hmm. but that he is in a way without strictly meaning to, because as we find out later, he doesn't really want to be found. Right. Like, without, like, wanting to, he is, in fact, kind of driving the plot yeah, exactly. forward. I love it. So then we get Finn going back to the First Order Star Destroyer, and he's kind of having that moment of conscience where, he, like, he takes off the helmet, and he's kind of still decompressing from from the battle, and he has that exchange with Phasma, who I should, I should have, like, said my piece about Phasma at the very start, which is, like, I really love Phasma. Like, I think she is super cool. Um, And like one of my, like one of my gripes of the sequel trilogy, which overall I generally do like, is like the underusing of Phasma. Oh, don't even get me started. I actually (laughs) do. (laughs) I love Phasma a lot. My headcanon is that she survived. Don't judge me. She's alive somewhere doing her own thing. Okay. Just let, just let it be. That's how I want it to be. Um. Look, I would not object to, like, Boba fetting her and, like, she's alive. Please? Can that happen? <laughs> can can we do that, please? No, like, Phasma, oh, she's just, like, I loved her from the moment she appeared on screen. Like, she was there from the beginning. And, like, I still to this day can't completely articulate exactly why she's, like, one of my favorite characters. But she's just so perfect. And they didn't use her enough, and I will never be over it, ever. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that I really liked about Phasma, and yeah, I totally agree with you, like, they did, they they totally underused her, and it's like, you got Gwendolyn Christie for this role, and it's like, that's exactly. how you use her? Like, yeah, after, like after, you didn't, didn't even show her whole face. Like, yeah. I get it, but also, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, she's so great on Game of Thrones, and, like, you give her this role, it's like... <sighs> yeah. Like, the thing that I always really liked about Phasma, and particularly, like, the the place that she occupied in this kind of like three part hierarchy that we see in the first order, at least like minus Snoke, like tabling mm-hmm. him, but the kind of like active ruling bit of like her Hux and Kylo mm-hmm. is like each of them kind of embody these different sorts of archetypes within this like authoritarian regime in the sense of like you've got Kylo who is this sort of disaffected, angry, troubled youth turning into this dark direction as this kind of outlet for all of these like feelings of not being like appreciated or being like receiving enough attention from his parents and neglect and so on. And so he's going in this direction and embracing this, this path. Then you've got Hux and Hux very much fits this archetype of the like 
the bureaucrat, the person who's just kind of trying to rise through the ranks and kind of advance his own position and power. Mm -hmm. And then you've got Phasma and Phasma to me very much strikes me as like the true believer. Yeah. That like she really believes in the first order and is committed to its ideology and its goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I love that. Because she's very like, this is the way we do things. This is why we need to do things the way we do them. Do as I say. I love I love her so much. Yeah. So that's something that in a, in a version of the sequel trilogy where we got more Phasma, like that's something that I would have loved to see them lean into more. Like that element mm-hmm. of her is like the true believer in the First Order. But we don't get that. And hopefully, hopefully she will get the Boba Fett redemption. Oh, I hope so. I she mean, deserves. Like, the book is great. The Phasma book. But like, it's not enough. The comics no. that she's in, not enough. She's in Resistance for a minute not enough we need more and i don't want it to be 40 years from now or whatever i want it to be now (laughs) so from there we go to the introduction of ray and i said in an earlier episode a while back that my favorite character induction in all of star wars is and remains yoda's in the empire strikes back i just love how that's done Mm -hmm. ray's i think is number two i think it's up there so good it's so good. It's so good. I know like, I have to put it above. I mean, I know that means putting it above Vader, who I love, but like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. so good. I just absolutely like everything from like how it happens in terms of like the smash cut. It like it goes from Finn just immediately to Ray, and we get those shots that you that we see in like the first full trailer of like the close up of her face, and she's like climbing through the the wreckage of the Star Destroyer. It's so good. I love how her introduction, like as much as um, The Force Awakens is like compared to A New Hope and like the original trilogy, I love how her being there and her purpose there and how clear it's made is so different from Luke's. Yes. All Luke wants is to get off of Tatooine and not be with his family and not be doing the same thing every day. And here's Rey obviously doing the same thing every day she's waiting for something but she's not going anywhere yes i love that difference so much because then you're like but why is she here why is she counting the days why is she staying here it's so perfect i'm really really glad you brought that up i'm gonna put a pin in that i'm gonna come back to that in a few minutes because there's something kind of related to exactly what you were just talking about about the luke ray comparison that happens Like one other thing about that initial introduction, I love because we were talking about books at the very beginning of this. Like, I love that that's the inflictor from Lost Stars. Yes. I love that detail. Yes, it's one absolutely. of those great, like, it's one of those great examples of like, if you have no knowledge of the canon novels and you've never read any of them, it's just a Star Destroyer. Yeah. And it can just be a Star Destroyer to you. But like, if you've read the book and like, you know that it's the inflictor and you know everything that happened on that ship and why it's important, like, it's just that great little layer there. Yes, that's something great about the books is that you don't need to read them to understand Star Wars. But if you do, Star Wars just gets a little bit cooler. Yes, absolutely. And of course, I'd be remiss in talking about Ray's introduction if we didn't talk about Ray's theme. Oh, my favorite. Yes, the best music to come out of the sequel trilogy. And even like when we started talking about this scene, that music was like immediately in my head. Like I didn't realize it (laughs) until just now, but like automatically it's there. It's that John Williams, man, like just talking about a scene and the music immediately coming to mind, like that means 
something. Like it is that iconic already that it sticks right away. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Like I love the Harry Potter vibes that are there with like the bells. Mm -hmm. Like I I remember immediately like my brain going to that when I first heard it. And yeah, we just get some like great shots. There's that really awesome like wide shot when of her bike kind of like racing across the desert when she's like done with her shift or at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And then where we ultimately find her sort of living in the ATAT, which I think is really, really cool. And I think one thing that's really great about that intro from like kind of beginning to end from like starting off watching her digging through the Star Destroyer to like going to Unkar Plot and selling all the scrap to ultimately where we find where she's living is that like, in a way, it's a kind of physical representation of one of the big themes of the sequel trilogy. And we sort of alluded to this at the very beginning before we started talking about the movie, which is like this notion of like all of the characters are kind of grappling with history and legacy and what came before. Mm-hmm. Like she's literally living in the past. Oh, yes. In an old AT-AT. Amazing and the scratch marks that she's got on the wall she's counting down the days mm-hmm. like it's almost like something you'd see in like a jail cell yeah i love the portion bread that's really cool that is really cool and like i like one thing that it made me think of recently is that like you don't see much food in star wars Mm-mm. i mean it's a little different now with the mandalorian where like grogu has made everything food <laughs> that's true <laughs> but like there was a time where you didn't see a lot of food in star wars yeah um, i mean like yeah you got like the blue milk and like i mean like what else does that like yeah the floating pears and attack oh, of the clones oh yeah how how could i forget <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness <laughs> you need a moment i don't know why that's so funny Oh, all right. Ray, Ray. Okay. Yeah. And so then from there, we get this really great little like moment of her where she is sitting outside the AT-18 and she puts on the rebel pilot helmet and she's like eating and she's watching the ships take off. And what I love about that is like, particularly when she puts on that helmet, like that also feels like a very kind of universal experience. Like it's all of us pretending to be in Star Wars mm-hmm. in that moment. It's like, it's all of us with our like black series helmets, putting them on. Oh yeah, for sure. And I was going to bring this up later in the movie, but I want to bring it now because you made that really good Ray Luke comparison. Cause we see her sitting there and we see her looking at that ship that's taking off in the distance. Mm-hmm. And we as Star Wars fans, what we're kind of psychologically trained for is like, we're looking at that and thinking, that's Luke looking at the twin sons. Mm-hmm. That's her twin sons moment that we're thinking, oh, she's looking at that ship and she's going like, man, if only I could get on that ship and get out of here. Yeah. But as you mentioned before, that's not what she's thinking when she's looking at that ship. Yeah. I mean, she's thinking about like, yeah, the the opposite of that, which is like how I'm going to stay here, but like how much longer? when is a ship going to come down and get me, you know? Or like, is my family going to come back in a ship? She's not thinking about like, I'm leaving. She's thinking about like, are things going to change? But it's still different because she's not like, I want to go off and do something bigger. She's like you mentioned, she's in the past. She's literally holding on to the past. And she's like, I don't, I don't want, you know, I want what I had before, which was my family who are not here. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's like that's great because it really kind of separates her from both Anakin and Luke. Yeah. Because they're both like just wanting to get off their respective rocks yeah. and they just want to leave. Exactly. Whereas Ray doesn't want to leave. Yeah. She wants her family to come back. Yeah. And so like that always like when I whenever I think about Ray in that context, like I always think about that Yoda line from The Empire Strikes Back when he's talking to Luke and he says, you know, adventure, excitement, a Jedi craves not these things. Yes. That's Rey. Yes. She didn't want adventure or excitement. No, she did not. Luke and Anakin did. Oh, it's so good. Yes, so good. So yeah, her reverie ends up getting broken up by some scavengers who are trying to capture BB-8. And she ultimately rescues him from them. And after initially trying to like get him to go away, she kind of reluctantly agrees to allow BB-8 to stick around with her. <laughs> and what I really love about like that moment between the two of them and about BB-8 in general is that like, in a way, kind of at least looking back on it, like he's almost a kind of precursor to what we have with Grogu now in The Mandalorian mm-hmm. in the sense that like, both in terms of like how he shot, he's kind of a blend of both practical and computer graphics. Mm-hmm. He's got that cute quality, which I think in a lot of ways is unique. Because even if I, even if you think about like R two in the original trilogy, like cute is not a word that I would use to describe R two. Yeah, there are many other words I would use to describe R two. Like cute is like <laughs> pretty far down. Yeah, and he's got that kind of like childlike quality. You know, when she initially says like no, he does the like, mm, yeah, like looks down, and then she's like okay, and he gets all excited. <laughs> they I, they do such a great job of like making him like a puppy. Yes, also, and I love it. And it's just like there. I one thing I love about Star Wars just in general is like how every droid in general, like I mean, obviously, like the battle droids are all the same, basically, but the droids like bb-8 and r2 and c-3po like they're made specifically to be very different and i love whenever there's a new droid especially like in the books this is a thing too like when they have a new droid they put effort into giving it some kind of unique quality or making it so like you're not just thinking oh this is just like that other droid like why is this one different i love that just because it makes them a unique character that you know is is an important part of the story even though they're quote-unquote just a droid um, and I love how BB-8 is, he is very cute and like, you just want to protect him and make sure that he's going to be okay. Yeah. BB-8 is just like a really, really great addition, I think, to Star Wars and just like really unique in terms of design. Yeah. Like the ball design, like it's, it's something I never would have imagined. Like, yeah. like, how do you do something as kind of unique and attention grabbing as like R2 and 3PO? But they really did it. Yeah. Then from there, we get a cut back to the First Order Star Destroyer, and we get this like short scene of Kylo torturing Poe in order to get the information about where the map is. And so then we get that setup of the First Order is now going back to Jakku in order to retrieve BB-8 to get the map. And then the next day, we get uh, Rey kind of going back to Ankar Palat. She's you know, back to her workaday life. And Ankar Plett is offering to buy BB-8. And I'm sure you've probably seen this meme of, like, people have done this edit of, like, Ankar Plett offering the portions for the droid and then Ray saying, like, yes. And then it, like, cuts to, like, directed by J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> like, the movie just ends there. Oh, man. That's funny. I, I love those memes. Yes, me It's too. like, what if this had happened? Oh, I, well, I guess the story's over now. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah, so I really like that. So then you've got this setup over like you got the first order now going after BB-8, and then you've got like Ankar Plot and the Junkers also wanting BB-8. And then ultimately we go back to the start of story where we get Finn breaking out Poe and their escape away from the Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. And this is like, this is another just moment of pure fun in this movie. Yes, definitely. I, this scene, I remember watching it the first time and just like, I like, I was having fun up until that point, but I think at this moment I was like, oh, this is fun. Like I'm, I, I'm just like smiling Yeah, and I can't stop. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. From their like banter to all the way like them cheering when they're ultimately able to make their escape. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's not like it's that pure like Star Wars adventure. Yeah. But I also I also really like this scene because it does like a lot in terms of the character of Finn and kind of establishing where he his mindset is at this particular moment, because like they have that exchange where like he's busting him out and asking him about like, can he pilot the TIE fighter? And Poe asks him like, you know, why are you helping me? And then Finn says, like, because it's the right thing to do. And then Poe's like, you need a pilot. I need a pilot. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, it's this great moment of humor in the movie. But it also kind of establishes where Finn is in the sense of, like, he's not someone who's, like, thinking about the cause or about, like, morality. He's just, like, wanting to get out. Yeah. It's a very – it's something that we, like, see with a lot of our kind of, like, heroes initially. Like, definitely with the case of Luke in the original trilogy, which is, like, they start from this very self-centered spot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's about what they want. And then they kind of kind of mature into thinking about the larger world. Right. So I really like that moment there, too. So they they initially make their escape, but then their tie is shot down and they go flying down to the surface of Jakku and end up crash landing. Every time I watch this movie, I am shocked that Poe was supposed to die at this moment. Yeah. Like, I cannot believe they were going to off oscar isaac 20 minutes into this movie oh man like he's such a significant part of this entire trilogy as a whole and like i can't even imagine what it would have been like without him in the rest of the movies yeah even in the rest of this movie like oh i'm so glad that they kept him yeah i'm really glad they made that like that executive decision to give him a bigger role even if he is missing for like the middle part of the movie, I'm just glad he came back because yeah, if he had just been like gone after that, like that would have been just such a bummer because like, like very quickly on, even when those like limited scenes you get with Poe, like you immediately just kind of establish a rapport with him and you like him. Oh yeah. And like, yeah, like don't take a character that I love and just immediately like eliminate them. Like don't do that to me. (laughs) Exactly. And then you've got Finn walking away from the Thai wreckage and like going down to the Jakku village. And whenever I see those shots, like when they show him like gradually removing the stormtrooper armor, and I, I just think about how hot it was when they were shooting. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> because like they talk about in the documentary about how they were shooting in Abu Dhabi and it's like 120 degrees outside. Oh man. And I'm just thinking about John Boyega in that black jumpsuit or whatever it is. I mean, like, he definitely didn't have to act that he was miserable as he was walking away, because I'm sure he was. It's just, I just just imagine they're all roasting there. Oh, man. And we get back on the start of story after they escape. We have, like, a brief shot of Kylo and Hux kind of arguing about the pursuit of BB-8. And it really establishes their dynamic really well, in the sense, like, you get these, like, two people who are kind of 
both butting heads and they're kind of jockeying for power between themselves. The Kylo Hux dynamic is like one of my favorite things about the sequel trilogy because like they just cannot get along and I love it, especially as I mean, as the trilogy goes on, even like it just like, you know, they both want like the same thing and they are so different in the ways that they go about it. And this movie especially is so good at like establishing like Hux is like not messing around and Kylo is like trying to be the one who's not messing around but he just like he's not quite there yet like he can't just he can't figure it out and i love that and just like hux is so like done with him and you can tell in every scene but like he can't do anything about it because you know he's below kylo and that frustration that's just constantly um radiating from him i love it yeah exactly and that's like to jump out of force awakens for a moment when you get to rise of skywalker and the reveal that he was like a spy feeding the intel to the resistance. Like I remember when that happened and like you had that discovery, like immediately like the first time I was watching the movie, I was thinking like, Oh, is this like another like callous situation? Like we've got like a turncoat. And then when you get that line about like, I don't care if you win, I need Kylo Ren to lose. I'm like, yeah, that's your motivation. Yep. And it's like so Hux and it's so perfect. And like, you know, it, it doesn't matter his fate in that movie because like that line alone is just like, okay. His character arc is like, that's it. That's all he ever wanted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I love that. I love that dynamic between the two of them. So then back on Jakku, we have Finn kind of going into the the Junker village and he ultimately meets Ray. And I really love like a lot of the humor there where like BB-8 identifies him and then they're like, they go chasing after him. And then, like, she thinks he's in the resistance, and he's like trying to play it off as he as he's a resistance fighter. <laughs> I love that. I love him. I love him in that scene. This is what we look like, at least some of us. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh, and, it's so, it's so yeah. good. And then we get ultimately the the arrival of the first order, and I love that whole like element where like Finn he's constantly treating Ray as like someone he needs to rescue. Like he's like grabbing her and like yanking her away. And she's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And then even that like initial moment when he first meets her and like the, like the other scavengers are like coming on her to get BB eight. Like he's about to intervene to help her, but then she ultimately just beats everyone's ass with staff. <laughs> it's definitely establishing in that moment that she's like, Oh no, I'm good. I can take care of myself. I've been doing this for a long time. Like step yeah. back. <laughs> I love that little, like, subversion of that trope there. Yeah. Yeah, and so we get the First Order attack on the outpost, and they are trying to escape, and they want to get on the quad jumper first, but then that gets blown up, and then they ultimately go on, as Ray calls it, the garbage. The garbage will do. I That is one of my favorite lines and my favorite parts in this movie. Uh, just because, like, um, the Millennium Falcon is just... It, the running joke is that it's a piece of junk. And so you come back to you know, bringing it back into the franchise because at this point we haven't seen it yet and we're still calling it trash, but it's going to save the day anyway. This, I, I distinctly remember on my first viewing of Force Awakens, this was like the first big applause moment, the shot of the Millennium yeah. Falcon. Yeah, I um, I actually remember this moment in the theater because I was I went to see it with my best friend who has a habit of talking or mumbling during movies, which it is what <laughs> it is. But I just remember her going, is that... And then you see the Millennium Falcon, and it was just like that moment where you're like, oh, like, I don't care that you just talked because we're on the same page. <laughs> yes. Great moment when we first see the Millennium Falcon. 
And then they get on board and we get the great TIE fighter chase. Oh, I love this scene too. I, I just love this whole movie. <laughs> yes, me too. Like for me, that chase is right up there with like the OG chase from A New Hope. Yeah. As they're escaping the Death Star. It's so good. Yeah. I love all the interior shots of the Star Destroyer as they're flying through the wreckage. I love the two of them. Like you get that shot where they're both going like, I can do this. I can do this. Yes. I, you don't get like a ton of, like you get more, you know, in various things in Star Wars, but like a lot of like chases and like ships flying around happens like in space. Um, I love how this is like on the ground and like they're flying through like destroyed ships and like maneuvering through things that just, it makes, it brings a whole new like element to it. And I, that just makes it so much more exciting. Cause like, they're not even off the planet yet. Like they're just trying to survive in this moment and they don't even know if they can do that. Yeah. So yeah, I really like that. Both of them having to like talk themselves into being ready for this fight. And then, yeah, just all of the like great shots of like the wreckage and all of that. Yeah. And then they're like, I also really like their excitement afterwards once they ultimately escape. Yeah. And like, they're both like praising each other for like their flying and their shooting. And... We go from there, we go to Kylo being informed that the droid escaped the clutches of the First Order. And this is just a phenomenal moment. It sure is. We just get like some great lines. Like, you know, the droid stole a freighter. (laughs) (laughs) And then him like destroying the console and being like, anything else? (laughs) So good. I, I love how it's just like it, it's furthering the fact that he is so unstable and he's just like, you know, he's just losing it. And like that on top of like the dialogue, this, this moment is just perfect. Like the humor in this movie is like so perfectly timed and like, like there's the perfect amount of it. Like you don't always want to have like too much yeah. or not enough, but it's like placed perfectly throughout this entire movie. And this is one of those moments where you're like, this is like a terrifying thing that just happened, but it's also hilarious. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember on the on the making of documentary, like JJ talking about like how that moment really sold him on Adam Driver for the role. Mm-hmm. About how like Adam had basically gotten the role essentially without auditioning for it, and it was like it was that scene and like seeing his delivery in particular. I think you mentioned that line about like anything else. <laughs> him realizing in that moment, like wow, like like he can be like really funny, yeah, and really on point with his delivery. So yeah, I really like that. And then of course how it ends with him like grabbing the officer and going, what girl? <laughs> so yeah, so then we go from there back to the Falcon. You've got Ray and Finn basically like trying to fix the Falcon. And there's some great like banter there about like trying to figure out the location of the base and like Finn trying to get BB-8 to tell him where the base is and like BB-8 not wanting to. <laughs> uh And then ultimately they get captured by who else? Our favorite smuggler, Han Solo and Chewie. And this was the second applause moment that I had in my theater, which is Han getting on and the Chewie were home. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, I'm I'm sure I don't remember, but I'm sure there was definitely applause in my theater too. Because I mean, it's one of those moments where like, yeah, we saw it in the trailer, like we knew it was coming, but like that build up to that moment and then it actually happening in the moment, like none of us ever thought that this would happen. Like we never thought that like Harrison Ford would come back and that Han Solo would be like a part of this new trilogy. And so like seeing it happen for real, you're like, Oh, I knew this was coming, but it is so much better now that it's actually happening. 
Yeah, totally agree. It still worked, even if we knew it. Yeah. And then, you know, they meet Finn and Ray, and they kind of have, both of them have a kind of like fanboy girling out moment about like meeting Han when they're the, the like, you're Han Solo. This is the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. And I like how that like, there's some confusion about like who Han is, where they're like, is he the smuggler? Like, I thought he was the rebellion hero. They do- They both know he's famous, but they don't know what he's famous for. Yeah. And then we get that moment of Han going back into the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon for the first time. And that was just going back to what you were saying, like, of things we never thought we'd see again. Harrison Ford back in the Falcon. Yeah, so good. Incredible. And that ultimately doesn't last that long because they are captured by rival gangs who are both after Han because he has been hauling wrath tars and he took a bunch of money in order to do it and they're now basically all wanting their money back (laughs) and i really enjoyed this like this scene also has a great amount of humor running through it they're like those little like kind of memeable moments you know like tell Mm -hmm. that to kanja club i think it's like one of those lines that has like (laughs) has like transcended the movie but what I, i like about that moment is like it's really showing like how han's kind of gone back to his old ways absolutely yeah Because, like, we don't know where he's been. So they have to, like, establish that, like, oh, like, something happened. Because at this point in the movie, all we know is, like, something happened. And now he's back to doing, you know, what he was doing before. Like, he's in the same kind of trouble he always got in before. And this is, like, one of my least favorite scenes in the movie. But it's so important in establishing, like, Han Solo is in many ways the Han Solo that we know. Because something has happened and something has changed to put him back in this spot. Yeah. And I would agree with you also about the scene itself in terms of the overall movie. Like, I think The Force Awakens is a really well-paced movie overall. Mm-hmm. Like, the Raptor scene is the one, like, true moment where there is some amount of let-up. Yeah. Where there is a little bit of that, where it does, like, lag a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I do love what it gives us and tells us about where Han is in this particular moment. And sort of starts setting up his own arc that he's going to have over the course of the movie. And so then you've got... Ray inadvertently releasing the Wrath Tars, you have Bedlam ensuing, and then they ultimately escape with the Millennium Falcon, but not before one of the gang members sort of calls it in to the First Order. And from there, we get our first viewing of Starkiller Base. So I'm curious, what did you think about the quote-unquote another Death Star being introduced <laughs> in this movie? <laughs> you know, I think for me... As I was watching it for the first time, it it didn't bother me that much. Like, I think everything else was new enough that, like, it was fine. I can see now, looking back, like, why it would be bothersome. But, like, nah, I'm good. Yeah, that's basically how I was at at the time and how I've been since. Because the thing is, like, on the one hand, I get why people have the issue of, oh, they're just, like, building another Death Star. Like, here's another version of, like, some planet-killing super weapon. Mm -hmm. But, like... The kind of issue with it is that, like, when George put it in in A New Hope and introduced the concept, it's a kind of narrative Pandora's box. Because, like, once there's been one built, there's no reason to assume, like, the bad guys are going to stop building them. Exactly. Because why would you? Like, if you if you have the tech to, like, blow up planets, yeah, you're not going to be like, oh, well, they did that 30 years ago. Like, we can't repeat that. <laughs> right it wouldn't work for the plot like what are they gonna say of course they're gonna build another one exactly and like 
if you think about it, like Starkiller Base is just like the First Order trying to be a little bit more extra than the Empire, as they are <laughs> in like so many other ways anyway. So like it makes sense. The First Order is just it they are so much more ruthless in so many ways. And like why would they not do this? Why would they not just take an entire planet and make it into a base that can also destroy other planets? Like that that's a very first order thing to do. Yeah, exactly. And you know, now going back to making the same point about talking about the inflictor at the beginning of the movie, now that we know that's Ilum, that we have that detail, yes. that's again a nice little like, again, like if you don't know what Ilum is, like it's just a planet that they build a weapon into. But if you know what Ilum is and you know that history, like that adds a kind of layer and significance to what the First Order has done. They've taken this planet that was like, had this big importance to the Jedi and was the sacred place. And then they've turned it into this machine of destruction yes i love i love that detail and it adds so much more to it and that's why i don't mind it yeah me neither yeah and so we also there get our first introduction to supreme leader snoke now i got two questions for you about snoke Uh and do please be candid about it so the first (laughs) is did you at any point either while watching the movie or after think that Snoke was actually that big? <laughs> um, my favorite, like, joke about it that I remember from that is, like, um, the people who are like, what if he's, like, two inches tall in, like, <laughs> in, like, in real life? Did I think he was? I mean, sure. Like, I, I think in that moment, I, it would have been fine with me, honestly. Like, I, I honestly think, like, the fact that he was just, like, normal-sized was kind of disappointing to me. <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying all this because that is exactly where I was. (laughs) I don't know if I thought it was likely that he was huge, but like it did cross my mind because it's like, you know, you've got your, you know, you've got your Mieber Gascons and your Babu Fricks. Presumably there's like people in the galaxy that are on the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. There have to be huge people. Yeah. I mean, like, why wouldn't he be that big? (laughs) I mean, but oh, well. (laughs) Yeah, and I also was a little disappointed yeah. that we didn't get 100-foot-tall Snoke. Yeah, well... Those would be my changes. More Phasma and 100-foot-tall Snoke. <laughs> I approve of both. <laughs> so, second Snoke-related question is that, did you, particularly after watching the movie, did you have or buy into any of the theories about who Snoke was? I I really don't think so. I think I probably, like obviously wondered like what his connection was or like if we were going to find out like where he came from um and what his relationship to kylo really was but like the fact that like he could have been Plagueis or he could have been you know whoever else i mean i i don't know i mean i think i think with i am how i am with theory sometimes is like i'm always open to like any possibility but i don't i don't think i really honestly cared about snoke's origins that much so i was kind of in the camp of, I guess we'll just see where this goes. Right. And I think I was pretty much there too also. Like I was, I knew about like all the theories, like particularly like the Snoke Plagueis one was the big one. Yeah. But yeah, I was mainly like, I think I was leaning towards like, yeah, he's probably a unique character and will at some point eventually learn yeah. his connection to the larger story. Yeah. So yeah, so in that scene, we get, among other things, we get the reveal about Kylo Ren being the son of Han Solo. So did you have any reaction in the moment to that? Did you see it coming? I I think knowing what I knew about the stories of Legends, I really liked it. 
because spoiler alert for really old books, Han and Leia do have a son who turns to the dark side eventually. And like some people will be like, oh, I don't like how it's the same. But like, I really like that they brought they have and they're doing it more and more, bringing small elements of these already told stories into canon and kind of like making them new and making them part of a different story, which I really like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked that, like it established like the reason why he was trying so hard to be this like menacing presence is because he was trying to get away from the fact that he came literally from two heroes of the rebellion. I really like, I I don't remember what my reaction was like immediately in the moment. I just remember like thinking about like, Oh, this adds a completely new layer to like Han and Leia and their relationship and what's going on with that. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up that Legends element because I'd heard other people who were also kind of steeped in Legends going into it, talking about how like they were they kind of had a feeling that that might be where it was going or like not being particularly surprised because there was that mm-hmm. there was that initial story there. Yeah, in my case, I did not see it coming. I don't think I even had like a reaction to it. I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't see it coming either. And I remember being like surprised, but at the same time I was like, I was like, all right, like I accept it. Let's go, you know? Yeah, same. So yeah, from there we go back to the Millennium Falcon and we get, for me, one of the highlights of the movie, which is we, we get a little bit of that establishing about like Luke and what ultimately happened with him. The fact that he tried to set up a new Jedi temple and that one of the apprentices turned and destroyed everything and that he kind of went away. And it's interesting, like on this last view, somehow, like for whatever reason, like I never clocked it before or thought about it, but like Ryan Johnson ended up getting like a lot of hate in The Last Jedi for his characterization of Luke, particularly like the fact like making Luke as someone who got like disaffected and like walked away from the fight and like didn't want anything to do with the larger struggle. But then I was like watching that scene where Han is talking about the story of Luke and it's like Han basically says as much where he, he like he has this line I should have written put it in my notes where he says like afterwards that like Luke just walked away from it all. Like that's that's a rough paraphrase. And it's like, oh, this was in The Force Awakens. Yeah. I totally forgot that. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, which which is what I always say with that argument that Luke wasn't, you know, the Luke Skywalker that we knew. I'm like, of course he wasn't. Because look what he went through. Like, think about if you went through something terrible that you just had to walk away from. It changes you. You're not the same yeah. person that you were. And it's been how many ever decades since that happened. When we get to this point, he's different because of what he's seen. And they establish it right there. Like, at least in the fact that Han says, like, Luke just left. He was done with this. You know, it was over for him and he just went off to do his thing. And, like, that's so important. And, like, you can't overlook things like that. Like, it's a small detail. It's, like, one line. But, like, it tells you a lot about, like, where the story is going and what to expect. Yeah, exactly. So, like, I was, like, I had already kind of, I guess at the time, I must have, like, already had that baked in mentally so that when we ultimately got that in the last Jedi, like it did, I didn't find it jarring or out of character or anything at all. Yeah. But yeah, we get one of the, one of the great lines from this movie, which is, you know, Han talking about, Oh, like I used to think that way too. Like he, that he didn't believe in the force and the Jedi and like crazy thing is it's all true. Like the, the force, the dark and the light. And it's like, I just think about like, I think about all of us as Star Wars fans, like, that's the thing we want to hear. <laughs> exactly. We want somebody to say, like, it's all true. Yeah. <laughs> I know there's no... Wait a minute. Stop. Stop for a second. Stop. Wait. 
ship. It's all real. Oh my god, I knew it. I knew it! I knew it! <laughs> and I think that's also a nice little moment, again, kind of like plugging back into that motif of both The Force Awakens and the sequel trilogy, which is like this whole notion of like history and legacy and the characters kind of all having to grapple with that and confront it in different ways. So yeah, from there, they ultimately go to Takodana, because... Han agrees to help get BB-8 to the Resistance, and he wants to get them on a ship that's not going to get tracked by the First Order. So he decides to go to his buddy Maz and her castle. And what I love about like that moment when they ultimately land on Takadana is like that whole scene between Han and Finn, where like Han is like seeing through Finn's act. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love how like Han has just become the father figure in the sense that like. He sees you like he knows exactly what you're doing. Like he got away with plenty of stuff when he was that young. But he's like, nope, like I've, I've been where you are. I see what you're doing. Don't do it. Yes, exactly. Listen, big deal. I love that. <laughs> and then we get that moment between Han and Ray just kind of outside the ship where Han offers Ray a job to be part of the crew to help out Chewie. And then, you know, she ultimately refuses because she says she wants to get back to Jakku. And that sort of like that gets back to that point that we were talking about earlier on about Ray as the reluctant hero is not really wanting to be a part of any kind of adventure or larger struggle that she just wants to be reunited with her parents. But it did like that kind of like you see a little like element of heart to Han where he does have this like he, he establishes quickly this bond with Ray and kind of sees a bit of himself in Ray. Yeah. And then from there, we go into Maz Kanata's castle. And so we get our the, the Force Awakens version of the cantina scene, which I really like. And did, did you have any kind of initial like reactions to the cantina itself? Or not the cantina, but the castle? I loved it. I love scenes like that in Star Wars where there's just, there's so many different moving parts. And like, it's a scene and you're panning through like the cantina or whatever it is. And like, you're not going to catch every detail. And it's really fun with those scenes to go back and like, look at what you didn't notice the first time really fun and like the music is perfect too so that helps yeah absolutely yeah just like background characters are just like one of those treasured elements of star wars just getting to see all of the like weird aliens and creatures and people in the background and then we also meet uh, maz kanata and i really like her like she's a great character I like that she's sort of like wizened. She's got that like take no bullshit attitude mm-hmm. <laughs> where like Han walks in and she's like, you need something <laughs> desperately. Yes. She immediately knows what's going on. Yep. And then like, she's, you know, she's telling Han like, Oh, you got to get back in the fight. You've been running too long. She sees it. Like Finn also is afraid and he, but he wants to get away too. And then, like, you get this moment where, like, Finn ultimately, much to Ray's shock, basically wants to run away. Like, he doesn't want to fight the First Order. He doesn't think they can win. And, like, he's trying to basically barter passage with with other people off the system. And, like, Ray is trying to figure out, like, what's going on? And, and he ultimately reveals the truth that he was a stormtrooper and that he's just wanting to get away from the First Order and from the Resistance and from any sort of fighting and then Ray ultimately at that moment hears in the distance the cry of a child and she sort of follows the noise. She goes to like the basement of the castle and she finds the Skywalker saber. Oh, it's back. <laughs> and she touches it and she has that force vision sequence. 
So um, any like thoughts or reactions to that vignette that we get there? I loved it, obviously. I It was one of those like, again, things are moving pretty fast at that point. And like, you're obviously only seeing snippets of things that may or may not have happened. And you're not here. You're not hearing like everything that all the voices are saying. But in that moment, you're like, this saber is trying to tell her something. And like, we want to know what that is. And it's it's that moment that you really see her like connecting with the force for, like for the first time. Yeah, that's one of my favorite scenes to rewatch just to see like all the things that she's being shown. Like, what does this mean? Like, what's this going to mean for later? Yeah, I really thought like back at the time, just because of the way it was set up, like I thought it was like teasing some sort of particular like Kenobi connection down the road. Like, I don't think I was ever like a Ray Kenobi person. I don't think I ever believed that. But like the fact that it like begins and basically ends with us hearing Kenobi talking to Ray, I clocked that and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, what are they teasing here? Yeah, which is a really which makes like a lot of theories make sense in theory um, about there being some kind of Kenobi connection because like, you know, he's there in that moment. And it's like, he's literally there when she's like first making those first connections, which is kind of cool because like it was the same case in A New Hope. Like Obi-Wan is literally there when Luke picks up the lightsaber for the first time, when he's training for the first time. I'm like, that's like, I never, I'm just making this connection now, which is awesome. Um, But like, he is such like a central part of this entire saga. Like he's there for the moments that really matter. Like even when he's not technically there. It's so cool. I love Star Wars. (laughs) I love that connection. That's awesome. He is there. Never thought of that before. Oh, but that I really like that. Oh, that, that that makes it great. Even though like there was no like Kenobi like actual connection or anything like that. Right? Because oh yeah, because like there does like when we talk about like connections in Star Wars, like it's not always about like someone is related to someone else. Sometimes it's like right. Kenobi is this like ultimate like part of the Force. Like he's so integrated in like everyone else's story so like of course he would be here at this point oh my god i'm just like jonesing right now because i'm thinking about like the prequels and like he meets anakin when he gets picked up on tatooine and then like he's there for luke to give him the lightsaber then he's there for ray wow at all their starts of their journeys side note i'm so much more excited about the kenobi series now so much more than i was like five minutes ago like i me too oh my god Oh, how am I going to continue with this conversation? This fantastic. I absolutely love what's happening right now. <laughs> Me too. Wow. What have we done? I don't know. This is just going to turn into an Obi-Wan Kenobi episode. I mean, that'd be fine with me. <laughs> me too. Kenobi. Kenobi! All right, Ray, Ray, Ray. <laughs> Maz Kanata, talk it out. Yeah. The castle, the lightsaber. The castle, lightsaber. Word associations. <laughs> there you go. All right, so yeah, so Ray kind of gets yanked out of the vision, much like we are getting yanked out of our Obi Wan <laughs> Kenobi reverie. <laughs> and she has this like heart to heart moment with Maz where. You know, she's talking to her about, well, you know the truth, like your parents are never coming back. And, you know, she has that great line where she says, the belonging you seek is not behind you, but ahead. Mm. 
and she's basically trying to encourage Ray to embrace, to look ahead, to embrace the future and to kind of embrace that she has a part in this larger story, like that the fact that the, the lightsaber and the force is calling to her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to that point about Ray is the reluctant hero, she doesn't want that. She has that line where she says, I'm never touching that thing again. I don't want any part of this. Yeah. And, a, and like another great like moment of contrast with the prior heroes where like it's I've always found it like a little bit jarring in A New Hope where you get that transition to like Luke goes back to the homestead and like he finds the bodies of his aunt and uncle and then like he goes back to Obi-Wan and is like, okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Time to leave. And like Ray has the total opposite. She gets like the call to adventure and she's like, no, I don't want this. Yeah. And just as like an aside, like we still don't know how Maz got that lightsaber. <laughs> I, you know, I was going to ask you that because like, I feel like in some kind of comic or book or something, we would have gotten that story by now. And I don't think we have. No, there's, there's like, I haven't read it cause I'm not that deep into the comics. Mm-hmm. There's something about like, th- there's like one little comic series about like, I think in between empire and Jedi where like something about like Luke goes back to Bespin. Mm-hmm. Is that is this ringing any bells? I think I don't think I've read the comic that you're talking about. Which you know, guys, I don't read everything. I it's a lot. Um, yeah, so there might be something, but like as far as I know, we still are not sure. Which is kind of, I I mean, like because that line, then like that's a story for another time. Like okay, but like <laughs> what does another time mean? Like are we ever gonna get the story? Um, and I really I'm trying really hard to remember if there is anything that i've come across no and I there's no story yeah i i'm mad about this like we need it please because like i want to know <laughs> yeah no I, t- to my knowledge there is no full flesh out story about how that lightsaber goes from like the chasm in bespin to a box in maz Kanata's castle okay and also like the certain point of view book for the empire strikes back just came out you could have very easily had a story in there yeah. that like kind of even started this other backstory about what happened to the lightsaber and nothing. Like what what are they saving the story for? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> so in between a little bit of this, we did get some cutbacks to what's going on with the first order and star killer base, but I want to just like talk about all of all of the Takadana stuff at once and then all the first order stuff at once. Mm-hmm. So we get the scene of Kylo talking to the Vader mask mm-hmm. on the Star Destroyer. And what I love about this moment is like, it's our first sign that we really get in the movie that Kylo is a different type of Star Wars villain. Yeah. From anything that we've seen, because he has that line about, forgive me, I feel it again, the pull to the light. Mm-hmm. And we've never really gotten that. Like, I mean, we do ultimately kind of get it with Vader towards like, once we get like sort of return of the Jedi, there's a little bit of that, but not, not as like a starting point. Yeah. Where you see this, our main villain kind of grappling with dancing that line between light and dark and like having gone to the dark, but not being totally sure and not being totally committed to it. I think at this point with Kylo, like what we really started to or we started to wonder like feel is like like what what happened to make him like resist the light so much because it really feels like instead of like really embracing the dark side which i mean he is 
because that's who he is and that's what he's trying to establish himself as. But it's really like instead of him, like, because Vader's whole thing is like, go deeper into the dark, like embrace the dark, like feel your anger and all of that. But with Kylo, it's more of like, I'm trying to go deeper into the dark side, but I'm so like captivated by the light that like all I'm doing is running from it. Like I can't get deeper into the darkness because I'm so busy just like trying to get as far away from who I really am as I can. Because at that point, you don't know like the whole story of like what happened and what brought him to this point. So yeah, you're right. It really is more of like a, he is unique in the fact that like he, it really feels like he doesn't really know what he's doing. And another thing I like about that scene, particularly the fact that it comes basically at around the same time as what's happening in Takedana is that like the Vader mask almost ends up functioning as this kind of like photo negative of the Skywalker saber. Mm-hmm. Because like they're both sort of these, these like physical embodiments. It's almost like totems of like this history and legacy that the characters are grappling with. In the one case with the saber, it's like the legacy of the light. You know, where Maz says, like, this was Luke's and his father's before him. And then in the case of the Vader mask, it's the legacy of darkness. Yeah. And now that I'm actually thinking about it, like, going off of what you just said when talking about Kylo, like, it's interesting that in both those moments, like, both those characters aren't committing fully. Yeah. Huh. Ray's not committing to the light. She doesn't want the lightsaber. And then Kylo's there because he can't fully commit to the dark. That is a really amazing parallel. I love that. Yeah, and that was another thing that I just thought, like, right now after listening to you. like, And I think also, like, to, to some extent, like, this scene does also hit a little different now that we have the context of Rise of Skywalker and knowing that it was Palpatine who was the one communicating to Kylo this entire time. Yeah. Hmm. So, yeah, after that, we get our – we go to Starkiller Base and we get, like, the Triumph of the Will scene where Hux is talking – like, delivering that speech to – all of the assembled stormtroopers just before they fire off the super weapon. And I love this speech. Like I love Donald Gleason's performance there mm-hmm. and just like how over the top it is. And like, just like it's showing it's showcasing that like whole fanaticism of the first order. Yes. And then we get some really great visuals of just like the firing of Starkiller Base. Yeah. From like the beam coming out of the planet and like all of the trees to like Kylo watching it sort of streak across uh, yeah. space from his Star Destroyer to ultimately like the destruction of Hosnian Prime. Yeah, that's uh, it's it's like one of the saddest scenes to watch, but it's like mm-hmm. one of the most like visually captivating. Like it's so it, it's 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 terrifying because it's so pretty and it's like oh wait this is not supposed to be beautiful but like oh <laughs> yeah exactly and then we get the arrival of shortly thereafter of the first order on takadana because they've been tipped off to the fact that finn and ray and bb8 are on the planet and we have them attack and destroy Moss's castle and we have like all the stormtroopers there. And I really like that fight that we get between Finn and that one stormtrooper. Yeah. Again, it sort of like it shows how like the first order is this different animal. Because like we never seen a stormtrooper having that kind of fighting style where they yeah. got the like, I don't know, like the the, the riot stick or whatever. Yeah. I don't even know what you call that. Um, and then like Finn is fighting it with a lightsaber. So that's really great. And then we get the arrival of the Resistance and the return of Poe. 
Oh, that moment. It's again, one of those moments that like you could just watch over and over because it's so cool. Yeah. We get that March of the Resistance on full blast. Mm-hmm. Yes, please. So good. <laughs> um, some really great dog fighting in that scene, particularly with Poe, where you see him kind of going through the sky and like doing all these flips and like shooting out all the TIE fighters. Yep. Yep. I love that scene where he's just like shooting down one after the other. I'm like, this is great. Yeah, and like Finn is getting all pumped and he's like, that's yeah. one hell of a pilot. Like, yep. yeah. Like that's all of us in that moment watching <laughs> yeah. it. And then while all that's happening, while you got all the action, you've got Ray still trying to run away, trying to escape the fighting, and ultimately confronting Kylo Ren in the forest, where like she initially tries to kind of fight him off, but then he captures her and he sort of reads her mind in that moment and then deduces that he doesn't need BB-8 anymore because she's seen the map. And so he thinks she'll do. And then he ultimately ends up taking her mm-hmm. and first order ends up leaving. They take Ray and then you get the arrival of Leia. <sighs> Yay. Her first appearance. That was, that was, I think uh, if, if I remember right, like, I think that was another applause moment in the theater. Yeah. First appearance of Leia there. And also 3PO. Yeah. I, I was just going to say like, I love how like, of course, C-3B was like super iconic and he's also there, but you're like, oh, but Leia though. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then from there, we end up cutting to Dakar, to the resistance base. And we have that great reunion between Finn and Poe. Yes. That I just love where like, it's such a bro moment. It is. Yeah. It's like a it's a little bit like the like the Luke big scene that we get in Yavin 4 and a New Hope but it like it's it it's great. Yeah. I like it's one of those like it's one reason why you know I'm so glad that like he does come back in this movie and it isn't just gone after the tie fighter crashes because like it is a great moment to like integrate Finn like into this new environment because like he is seeing someone that he already knows even though they only knew each other for a short time before that. But like he's there and he's like, I am in this place that I don't recognize. I don't know what I'm doing here. But then he sees Poe and he's like, okay, here's someone who's in this fight that like I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's great seeing them kind of connect and like them having that like rapport and bond that we see earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. And there's that little like funny moment that I like between uh, Chewbacca and the nurse who's like tending to him. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He's like, you must have been so brave. Yeah. And then we get a more poignant moment from there of, like, Han and Leia commiserating over losing their son. Mm -hmm. Because, like, back when Leia first arrives at Takodana, you know, he mentions, like, I saw our son. And the two of them talking about having lost Ben to, to the dark and then how after that, basically their relationship kind of crumbled. And, you know, Leia has that line where she says, we both went back to the things that we both knew mm-hmm. her to politics, him basically to, to the smuggling life. And I like that, like Leia st- sort of brings up like the, the fact of like, ultimately the two of them bringing Ben back to the light, you know, she says, you know, we can still save him, me, you. And I feel like that kind of does a nice foreshadowing for the rest of the trilogy. Cause that's ultimately what happens. Yeah. Like it does ultimately end up being the combined effort of both Han and Leia that turns Ben back. It does. Mm-hmm. 
So then from there, we go back to Starkiller Base and we get that scene where Kylo is interrogating Rey. And we get our first we get our first visual of Kylo slash Ben without the helmet. Um, any reactions to him taking off the mask? I I don't think so. Other than the like I because I think that's another thing for me at at that moment that established like this is not Darth Vader because like obviously Vader couldn't take off his helmet. Um, so it's not like the same kind of villain where like they're behind the mask the entire time and you never see what's underneath. Um, so like he he's willing to reveal more of himself to her to get what he wants, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, because like the reason I asked that is because like I in hearing other people talking about Force Awakens, like there were other people who speculated like uh, like they were a little bit surprised when he took off the mask because they had just assumed like making the Vader connection, like oh maybe he's like scarred underneath or something like that, mm-hmm. or like can he just pop off the mask because like Vader couldn't just pop off the mask, right? I mean, one thing I like about that is like there is a great like contrast that you ultimately get between like the image that he's trying to project of himself and then who he really is. Yeah. Because like, he's trying to be this very menacing figure. And then he takes off a mask and it's like this young, like almost like baby faced guy yeah, underneath. Exactly. Yeah. Like much less intimidating than like him in the mask. Yeah. And then like, he obviously tries to read her mind in order to figure out where Luke is, but, Ray is ultimately able to resist and she's in fact able to see into his mind and she is able to see some of his like his own fears and worries and like she mentioned like how he's afraid that he'll never be as strong as Darth Vader and like that's sort of the moment where Kylo kind of realizes that like Ray is someone singular like she's she's much more powerful than he realized that he had been in underestimating her yeah because like I think from there we immediately get the cut to like him talking to, to Snoke and he's like the scavenger resisted you. <laughs> yeah. So we get that discovery on the part of both Snoke and Kylo, and then like Snoke mentioning that he wanted Kylo to bring Ray to him, if in fact like she's that powerful. And again, sort of like looking back now on it with the hindsight of the sequel trilogy, like knowing what we know now, like I almost wonder like. If that moment was like, was that like the first inkling of Ray Palpatine? Mm. What like, like what was going? I almost wonder, like, no, like what was going through Snoke's head at that moment? Yeah, oh, that's interesting. See, I I haven't watched this movie again enough times since I've seen the whole trilogy to like really like pick up on these possible things. I love like knowing what we know, being able to come back. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'm just like, like that's just what, what I think, like, with that whole hindsight. Like, what was going through his head once he saw, like, yeah. well, here was this girl that he picked up, and she has this, like, this raw power in the Force. And ultimately, like, whatever, like we still don't know, like, the canon hasn't been fleshed out, like, exactly of the whole, like, Snoke-Palpatine relationship. We don't really know, like, yeah. to the extent that Snoke was aware of Palpatine. So maybe, like, nothing really, like crossed his radar but it's something that has like gone in the back of my mind like was that the first signaling like oh like who who could she be yeah Hmm. but then ray ultimately manages to break out of her confinement using a jedi mind trick on the stormtrooper which is a great scene i really like that (laughs) same (laughs) i remember like I've, i've seen some people like theorize or speculate that like maybe in that moment where like she had had that force bond with kylo and she saw into his mind that like maybe she kind of absorbed some of his abilities and that's how she was able to like do the mind trick hmm hmm possibly yeah hmm 
And then we get ultimately like Kylo discovering that she's escaped and like his like rage where he like just ends up destroying it. And, and I love those, like there's the two stormtroopers that are walking <laughs> yeah. down the hall and then they stop yeah. and they just go back. Yeah. They're like, Nope, Nope, <laughs> not this again. <laughs> so Ray is now kind of out and about on Starkiller base. And then from there we go back to Dakar to the rebel briefing. And so basically we sort of establish about like, they're going to, go after a Starkiller base and try to destroy it. And they think they found a possible vulnerability. And it's at that moment that we see that Han is going to go to Starkiller base to try to go after Kylo and turn him back to the light. So we get, we're getting that kind of arc where like Mm -hmm. we start when we seeing him, he's just kind of doing his own thing. He's not part of the fight. And now he's kind of coming back to the fight. And then we return to we return to Star Killer. I like that moment where, again, a little bit of like that reminiscence of A New Hope, where Vader senses Obi Wan, where like Kylo picks up on Han, and it kind of just like it, it just kind of happens a point where he's like he's talking to some stormtrooper, and then he just like stops and turns like Han Solo. Mm-hmm. That's a great little moment. And then you know Han and Finn arrive on on Starkiller, on the Millennium Falcon, they basically like light speed onto the planet and crash there. Yeah. And they're trying to figure out how they're going to like break into Starkiller base. And there's some like great, like again, some of that great humor from that movie where it is like, cause like Finn was kind of selling himself up. Like, Oh, like, Oh, I know Starkiller base. Like I know the interior. I know how to take it out. And then it's like, what exactly did you do? Like sanitation. (laughs) Oh, I love that moment. That's not how the force works. Yes, another great <laughs> line from that movie. Like, we'll use the force. Oh. <laughs> That's not how the force works. Oh. And so they ultimately break in because they're trying to figure out how to take down the shield in order to allow the resistance fighters to enter the base. And they ultimately do that by capturing our buddy Phasma and basically forcing her at gunpoint to lower the shields. <laughs> and then we get that, like the, the, the trash compactor homage. I love that. <laughs> of like what to do with her, <laughs> the garbage shoot. I love that. Like, like it, it was again, like another moment of emoting through a helmet where like they ultimately decide and, and like, she does that like quick, like head turn <laughs> yeah. of like, Oh crap. What's about to happen. Like, you're going to do what with me? <laughs> yes. It's like, we're like conveying shock without being able to actually like visually convey shock yeah. through your face. Yeah. So then they're ultimately able to lower the shields. And then you have the arrival of all of the resistance fighters and you have the start of the kind of aerial dog fighting element of the battle. And I really think that, like, there's some great, like, POV shots in this battle that we get, like, particularly from the cockpit and we get to, like, see out and the camera does all this panning as, like, the fighters are streaking by. Like, that looks really, really great. It really does. They did, like, this whole, like, the whole battle is, like, so, it's so well done. Yeah. And we don't get, like. If we if we compare it to like the first Death Star battle in A New Hope, like we don't get the same kind of emotional connections that they are able to establish really quickly in A New Hope with like with all of those rebel pilots, like right. that we get like bonded very quickly, and then we get to see them all like get blown up. Yeah. So like we don't really get that that as much, but we do get some great just like visuals of the actual fighting. Yeah. That I really like, and so you've got on the ground as all that's happening, you have. 
you know, Finn and Han, they ultimately go off to find, to try and find Rey and they're reunited with her. Like, I like that where they're trying to figure out and then like, she's in the back, like climbing up the thing. And like Han is trying to point and like, what are you doing solo? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, turn around. <laughs> um, That's and great so, one. yeah, they all get kind of reunited and they're go off to like, try to blow up the thermal oscillator. And, you know, you've got Han kind of, Han and Chewie setting up all the charges to like to blow up the facility. And like there you start to feel like the little bit of like build up to like something's going to happen because you get the like almost like the classic trope of the like, well, let's split up you and I, right? Oh, no. Yes. And then it's like, yeah, like something's going to happen. Yeah. And then we get there the confrontation between Han and Kylo. And I love that where like they're going or like Kylo was like climbing onto that, like the bridge or whatever. And then Han just cries out, like Ben, mm-hmm. and he just stops. Yeah. And like, they have that exchange there. Like they have that little like back and forth. And, and Kylo has that great line where he says, you know, your son is gone. He was weak and foolish like his father. So I destroyed him. Mm. Did you though, Kylo? Did you yeah. though? <laughs> yeah yeah it's again that like what we see with kylo all throughout this movie is like those setting up of those contrasts between like what he's trying to project and then what he actually is internally when he's just by himself yeah and i thought like even that line like there's some great parallels to to rebels to, to twilight the apprentice like the, the the ahsoka vader exchange where vader says like anakin skywalker was weak i destroyed him oh yeah oh there's the same parallel there with the lines and i love like in addition to just like their actual conversation i love the visuals in this moment particularly what they do with lighting because like as the two of them are talking you've got that like beam of sunlight that is on them as like the whole rest of the like compounder facilities and darkness Mm -hmm. and then like as you're kind of getting to the climax the sun just like disappears yeah in the distance like just before kylo kills him yeah did you see Han's death coming? Like, what was your reaction in the moment? I I remember, like, knowing was going to happen, like, right before it happened. Like, I think I was so in the moment that, like, it didn't hit me. Like, because I knew, you know, you knew something was going down, but you weren't, like, quite sure. I think, like, right before it happened, I was like, oh, this is it. Like, he's gone. And it happened. And I was like, oh, like, wait wait, wait, did this really just happen? Is Han Solo really dead? Um, Right. And like, I don't remember what the reaction was in the theater, but I remember I just sat there and I was like, I I can't, like, I I couldn't process it. I was like, but, but why? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was, even though like, I think in my case, like I did kind of see the, like where the buildup was going to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even still when it did ultimately happen, it just ignites the lightsaber and like drives it through him. It still was like, there was the shock. And particularly for me, and this was also the case for Leia's death in the rise of Skywalker. It was really Chewie's reaction that sold it for me. Oh yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Cause like he just, cause it's like totally silent and you're mm-hmm. like, I don't know what to think. And then Chewie's reaction, you're kind of like, oh, like this actually just happened. And then Chewie just like going on and just destroying everything was like so perfect because you're like, okay, like this is pure rage. Like this really did just happen and things are going down now. 
Yeah, exactly. And ultimately, I love the way that that scene ultimately goes full circle and we get it repeated in The Rise of Skywalker. Mm-hmm. I love the way that they do that because, like, it's it's giving Ben this kind of opportunity to do what he should have done in the moment on the base. Yeah. And, like, the whole conversation gets repeated and he ultimately makes the right choice there yeah. on the Death Star wreckage. I like that they kind of brought us back to that ultimately at the end of the trilogy. Yeah. And that's like, I like, that's a theme like with several characters throughout the trilogy, like especially with Finn too. It's like, he'll make the wrong decision multiple times. Like he'll try to run away and escape multiple times. And it takes a while for him to finally be in a situation where he's like, oh, like this is actually the right thing to do. Like this is exactly what I need to do. And, you know, it takes, obviously takes Kylo all the way until like that moment where he's repeating that conversation again. But like, I, I, like watching the force awakens now and hearing this conversation between the two of them like it's so dark now because you're like you know how it ends up and you know that this happens again and he does it right but seeing him like do it so wrong this first time it's so sad yeah absolutely and you know after that you have finn and and Ray, they kind of try to escape. They try to get back to the Falcon, and they ultimately confront Kylo out in the woods. And I love that moment where Kylo calls out Finn and just like yells, "Traitor!" Mm-hmm. Like, it's so powerful. It's just a great moment from Adam Driver. Yeah, and you get that brief duel between Finn and Kylo, where they fight, but then Finn is ultimately quickly dispatched mm-hmm. and. He, like, loses the lightsaber, like, the Skywalker saber goes flying, it goes into the snow, and then you've got, like, Kylo trying to reach out to the lightsaber, and then it ultimately flies towards him, and he thinks he's going to catch up, but then it flies past him, and it goes to Rey. I want to shut up now, because I I want you to talk about this scene. Talk about just, like, the significance (laughs) and, like, the importance and just, like, your own reaction to it. Okay, so... Of all the moments in Star Wars that make me absolutely lose my mind and cry uncontrollably, this is one of them Mm -hmm. for many, many reasons. But so it's sometimes like hard to explain to people like why it means so much for a woman to see a woman in Star Wars claiming a lightsaber, igniting it, and then just like engaging in battle with you know, this major dark side character. But the thing about like stories is that like the reason that a lot of people read stories and watch stories and consume media is they want to see themselves in the characters that they're watching and reading about. And, you know, like in Star Wars up to this point, like there weren't many main characters who were female for like younger women to like see themselves in and that was the case with me like you had leia obviously but that was like it for a long time and then like you have like other prominent female characters padme and but this moment is kind of the moment for me it matters a lot for like little girls to me like okay backing up for a second so We've been talking a little bit about like the parallels between this movie and the original trilogy and especially A New Hope and how they're very similar and like there are there there have been like conversations about like how like they're too similar or like 
it's relying too much on a new hope. They have too many of the same beats. Like it's the same story, just with new, bigger, different things. And in a lot of ways, that's true. Um, but one of the ways that it's different is that this story establishes that like girls now have someone like Ray to look at as the hero of this story, um, which is something they really haven't gotten in a movie in Star Wars up to this point. Like we've had, we had Ahsoka, like she's there and that that's important. But like to have this moment in the saga, to have her claim the lightsaber and especially the fact that it's the Skywalker saber who has only been held by you know, Anakin and Luke at this point. Um, to have her like claim that, like even if we don't know what the significance is of that at this point when we're watching this movie for the first time, just this moment of like, here we go. Like this is something that you haven't technically seen before. Here we go. This is new. Get ready for whatever else this trilogy has in store and however it's going to change Star Wars. And oh, for me, it's just like it just changed Star Wars for so many people and for me. I I this moment is just I will watch it again and again and it's the music combined with like the saber igniting and what that means and like and then you go on to the fight and like she just like completely owns him and it's like oh okay this is what we're doing like she's not this powerless she's not like okay for the record I love Luke Skywalker and I love him in a new hope and I love a new hope in general but it, she's not Luke Skywalker in this moment whose only option is to run away and get away from the danger. She's facing it head on because she has to because this is what, you know, she no longer can say, I don't want whatever adventure is coming. Like, this is where I'm at. This is what I have. And here we go. And like, just like her embracing that and just like, it's so, it just, it, it, it's so meaningful. And like, it's something I'll never forget seeing that for the first time in the theater. I was like, you know, this character is like, she has a bigger legacy than we may have known at the start. That was great. I really like that. I didn't want to interrupt that. I was just like, I'm going to let her just go until (laughs) she said her piece. And that was great. Yeah, I, we got there. We got all of it out. (laughs) Yes, that, that, that was phenomenal, Meg. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So then we get, as you mentioned, Ray gets the saber, you get that duel. Kylo kind of initially has a bit of that upper hand, and it, but then Ray ultimately is able to like quiet her mind. She she lets the force in, which is what like Maz was telling her to do. And then she's ultimately able to like counterattack and take him out. Mm-hmm. And then you have that great moment where like the planet starts kind of ripping apart and they're like separated by the chasm. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, as you mentioned right when the lightsaber goes to Ray, like that musical cue is great that they use, they use the music from the burning homestead. Mm-hmm. Really interesting musical choice there because it's like, it's like, it's that turning point moment where it's like, okay, like yeah. now you're going on the adventure. Now you're committing to this path. Oh, yes. As that fight sort of is happening and kind of wraps up, you've got back with the dog fight. You have the force awakens trench run as Poe goes in. And then he's ultimately able to destroy the, the oscillator and then Starkiller base ends up collapsing and exploding and the resistance is able to achieve their victory. And so from there, everyone goes back to Dakar, to the base, 
And I like that moment that we get between Leia and Ray, because basically, like, it's totally silent. They, they just hug. They say nothing. Both of them know. Yeah. Leia knows that Ray knows, and Ray knows that Leia knows. Yeah. So, like, that's a great moment there between them, like, in the midst of, like, all of this cheering and celebrating. And then back inside the base, you've got R2-D2, who's been basically, like, shut down, essentially. Mm-hmm. He ends up reactivating, and they are able to take the map that he's got in his system and put it with the piece that they took from Lorsenteca, and they're able to figure out exactly where Luke is. And then you have Rey ultimately leaving with R2 and Chewie on the Falcon and flying off to Octo. Mm-hmm. And this ending scene, I can't say enough about how much I love this ending scene. Mm-hmm. This is like the Jedi steps is probably my favorite musical bit behind Ray's theme from this movie. Agreed. And then we get a literal cliffhanger ending. <laughs> where, it's true. Yep. Where Ray climbs up the hill or the Island and she finds Luke standing there and she like holds out the lightsaber and you know, the force theme is on full blast. And then it just like, we're just left with that moment. Do you want to know what my first thought was when the scene was over? Go ahead. The only thing I could think of was, how much did Mark Hamill get paid to stand there for like a minute? <laughs> Do we have an answer on that? Like, <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever found one. I just, I don't know why that was the first thing I thought of, but I'm like, it's Mark Hamill. Like, you didn't do anything. I mean, Luke Skywalker's presence is all over this movie. Like, he didn't do nothing, but Mark Hamill himself. He did a great job when he did just stand there, but like, yeah. (laughs) That is a great question. How much did he get for that moment? But yeah, it was just like, I remember like the reaction immediately had like, I didn't even know like going in. I don't think it was definitively, you know, whether we were actually going to, maybe it was that we were going to actually see Luke. Like, I mean, yeah, probably Mark would have been on like the cast list. Yeah. But like. The fact that it comes just in literally that very last minute and like it was our first time seeing him as Luke in, you know, 30 plus years and seeing him since Return of the Jedi. That was just very powerful. I like that it's the only moving shot, final shot in Star Wars. Yeah. All the other ones are just still, but this is actually just like the camera kind of panning as they're, as Ray is just standing there holding out the lightsaber. Yeah. And I got to say, I think this may be my favorite closing shot in Star Wars. It's a really good one, especially because like, so again, going back to A New Hope, like when A New Hope ends, like that's just it. Like there there could have been no other story beyond that. And they set it up like that. Like this, it just ends. But with this, like especially with the shot being the way that it is, like it's definitely establishing like we have like way more in store for you here. And like, here, here's Luke Skywalker. Now you get to wait however many years for the next one. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a great final shot. And yeah, the movie ends there, basically. And yeah, we're just left wondering, like, what's going to happen next? Yeah. So I just want to sort of rattle off some of the accolades and some of the, like, records and that the movie ended up hitting. So The Force Awakens had, at the time, the highest worldwide opening weekend with $529 million. Wow. It was the fastest to reach $1 billion at the time. It took 12 days. 
Wow. It was at the time the highest grossing film in the U.S. and Canada with 936 million. It is still actually the highest grossing film for J.J. Abrams. Wow. It ended up grossing just over two billion worldwide, just a little north of that. And adjusted for inflation, it is still the highest grossing sequel of all time. And you know, in terms of the like critical response to The Force Awakens. Generally, the reviews were overall pretty positive. The movie got a lot of praise for the action, for like the directing, the pacing, and particularly the performances that you got out of the cast. And really, when it came to sort of criticisms of the movie where people took issue with it, it was mainly like the thing that we've sort of been alluding to at various points in the conversation, which is like a lot of the kind of similarities in terms of the story beats with A New Hope mm-hmm. and like the questions about like, was it too derivative and so on? Yeah. One thing that I wanted to talk about, you know, to try to start thinking about like TFA and where it sits within not just the sequel trilogy, but also like within Star Wars in general, and then also within kind of the Disney era of Star Wars is like, and like this is, as I mentioned, when you and I were corresponding, like part of why I wanted to have you on the show is to sort of talk about like where TFA fits in terms of representation within Star Wars. It was at least up to that point, and possibly like even since then, like was one of the most diverse offerings. I mean, you could say the most diverse offering mm-hmm. that a Star Wars mainline film had had up to that point, because we had a, a lead protagonist who was a woman. We had John Boyega. We had Oscar Isaac. We had Gwendolyn Christie. We had Lupita Nyong'o, even though you don't actually see her, but she was in the, uh, in the cast. Right. And so I'm just curious, like, because obviously you do a lot with this with Project Stardust. It's like, where do you think sort of TFA fits in within the evolution of Star Wars' relationship with like diversity and representation? And then like thinking about it like in the context of like what what's happened since? Was some of the like potential promise there fulfilled? Was it a lost promise? What are your kind of thoughts and feelings on that? The Force Awakens like had to do it had a big job in Star Wars as a whole. In terms of like having to establish, like it had to do overarching two things. It had to bring back all the fans of Star Wars that have been fans for a long time. And it also had to hook like the new quote unquote generation of fans. So it had a lot to do and it had like a lot of responsibility in that regard. And one of the things that it really, this movie specifically did well was just bringing, like having that diverse, more diverse cast. And having this representation where Star Wars kind of had lacked it a lot in past trilogies um, for various reasons. And it really set the groundwork for like Star Wars movies moving forward, having that representation like part of the main cast. Like they're not just supporting characters like you have you have these main characters that are that have this representation. And that was really important. And. I I don't remember a lot of the conversation that was happening around that at the time. But now, of course, we're having a lot of conversations about how like The Force Awakens did a good job of like establishing that that was possible and that was important. Um and that, that and that should continue. And now looking back, having had The Rise of Skywalker, they they promised a lot and they showed that they could do a lot and they didn't do as good of a job as we know that they could have, whether that be Rose barely being in The Rise of Skywalker at all, or 
you know, kind of hinting at maybe like a a romance between Poe and Finn and that not being there. I mean, you you can read it however you want to, um, but like they could have done it and they didn't. Um, they, I think they started off really making that like a point that they wanted to make it super important, but it just didn't stick. And the pro, the like, it's really obvious that this is a problem really because of the books and the TV shows, which do a much better job of representing everyone where the movies really don't do that. And it really shows that like the movies are really like behind in being willing to be more open about this stuff. And I think that's the hope for a lot of us in Star Wars movies moving forward is that we don't like shy away from any of this. A lot of people are just upset that I think like a lot of times like with the shows and the books especially like you know what the fans want like you know like they're aware of this they're aware of like you know we want LGBTQ representation or we want to see uh, characters of color be more prominent and we want all of these things and you're not giving that to the fans in the movies and it's not going unnoticed so I think in many ways it's good that we're not getting another movie for a couple more years three more years what year is it that's a long time it's a good thing though because it just gives them time to really like look at a lot of ways that people were disappointed in this trilogy in terms of representation specifically and kind of say like okay we need to decide now are we going to do what needs to be done and give our fans what they need which is as i mentioned before needing to feel seen by these characters on the big screen or are we not going to do that and are we just going to continue to cater to uh populations that might think that they don't want this and i think i I really do believe that they can make the right choice and that they will but they have time now to do the right thing and the hope is that they will do that yeah and like and you and i believe that like mistakes were made and it's possible to learn from those mistakes, especially in this situation. And like, they can recognize that like they did do some things wrong here and like they can do better. And I hope that they do. Yeah. I I talked about this back in my episode on the Star Wars trailers. Like I know one particular criticism that's been levied. I think it's, it's gone towards force awakens but then in the secret trilogy more generally is the like bait and switch that happened around finn oh yeah because like because yeah like when you watch those trailers like they do really seem to be setting up finn as the jedi character and then like the movie like it ends up being ray so like that for instance is something that like immediately comes to mind as like one of the criticisms about like on the one hand, like they're bringing in these more diverse characters, but then the question of like, how is the execution actually getting pulled off? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a big thing. Like, uh, they especially need to like be honest about their marketing in that regard. Like, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that again. Like, that was not, yeah. And like, that's one of the things that like I admittedly didn't like, didn't notice that then that that was happening. And yeah, you're right. And, um, they promised one thing and didn't deliver on it. And like, again, like Star Wars fans are smart and they notice details and they notice things like that. And like, we see you, we we see what you're doing and you we're watching you now and you got to make the right choice, please. 
Yeah, exactly. And that was something that I didn't clock either about Finn. I just sort of like, I just kind of like went with the flow and like, oh, like, okay, it's Ray. Yeah. Like, it, like that's something that I didn't realize until basically like years later until people kind of like yeah. started drawing attention to it. Yeah. Because like, yes, it's cool that Ray is a woman and like she gets to be the one to, you know, have the lightsaber and do the thing. But like, you could have, that could have been your marketing. Like you didn't have to do it the other way. And I think also related, that's why it's so important to engage with the fandom and like really like listen to what people are saying and like respectfully like listen to what people's arguments are because even if you don't agree or especially even if you don't like see it a certain way at first people who are different from you see things differently than you do and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're right or you're wrong or they're right or they're wrong like if they're seeing something that you're not um and that's how this came to my attention the whole controversy with Finn you know, just listening and like seeing like, oh, this is a problem that I specifically didn't see, but someone else did and they're pointing it out to me. And now I'm like, okay, I can acknowledge this. Now I understand what's happening. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like demonstrating that there is that open channel and that you're listening and that like crucially you're sort of taking what fans are saying into account and then, you know, using that to inform how future content gets made. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's really critical and that's really important. Hopefully that is something that they start doing more moving forward with these huge number of shows that we're going to be getting. So many shows. So many shows and movies. So many. So in terms of, you know, where we were with the sequel trilogy at the end of 2015 going into 2016, you know, where did you think the sequel trilogy was going? Did you have any theories, any notions based on what we saw in The Force Awakens about what we might get? Oh, I'm trying to remember. Because I, because my brother and I are both huge Star Wars fans, and he actually saw this movie before I did, and I was really mad because I was like, we got to see it together. And I, he saw it before I did, and whatever. Um, but I remember like us getting together and talking about it like soon after I'd seen it, and like, ah, yeah, I don't, there, I think, oh, one thing that he did say to me, because he was, like, really into, like, reading things online, like, figuring out, like, and paying attention to people's theories, and I don't think I was quite at that point yet, but um, he was talking about, like, her fighting style race when she was fighting Kylo and, like, the moves that she was using and the specific, like, lightsaber form, and he was, like, it, it's, he was talking about how, like, it could, like, imply that, like, she was, like, way more powerful than, like, we're being led to believe, and I was, like... I don't know what that means. Like, does it mean that she's like related to someone that we know, which is where a lot of people's heads were going at the time? Um, and I think that's really when I started to think about like, okay, this is still the Skywalker saga. So like, who is Rey? Where does her power come from? And obviously, it's important that we were in that mindset, even though we didn't know where it was going. But I really just wanted to know, because of that cliffhanger with Luke, what was he going to teach her or what was she going to resist or what were they both going to learn from each other at that point? Yeah. It's funny. Like I was doing going into preparing for this episode, like I did some Google searches. And if you like, if you look up things from 2016, you will actually find Ray Palpatine theories. Wow. I was like surprised actually the extent to which the theory was out there. Like there were even like, you can even find write-ups on like BuzzFeed and like Huffington Post about like people theorizing that Ray was in fact the granddaughter of Emperor Palpatine. Which is weird because like for some reason I just never bought into that. 
I just, I don't know. I just never, like, it never seemed like it would make sense to me. Because, like, I, I guess, like, I, I could have, like, figured that she was, like, related to someone. But, like, the fact that she was a Palpatine, like, it just blew my mind. I was like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I had, like, no awareness at all that, like, that theory was even out there at the time. Yeah. So like like looking this up and like seeing just the extent to which like fans were theorizing and like it was getting coverage and like and getting picked up like I was I was genuinely surprised that like there were people who like who had so like perfectly called rape help a team. Yeah. I think for my case it's funny when I was trying to think back about like what notions I had about the sequel trilogy I don't know that I had any ray theories you know as I mentioned before like I was kind of like flirting with some sort of like is there some ray kenobi thing going on even if it's not like blood relation yeah because of that scene I actually remember thinking the clearest memory that I have is like I remember thinking that we'd get some sort of fin reveal mm-hmm. Because we get that whole thing in the beginning of the movie where it's like, oh, like he was taken from parents he never oh, knew. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, like, is there going to be some payoff down the road to that? Is there going to be some journey where he's going to go and like, not necessarily that he was going to be related to like some prominent person in the galaxy. Yeah. But like, oh, he was going to go, like, he was going to find his home world and he, he was going to get his like, quote unquote, real name. Yeah. And like Finn was just going to be a stand in. Or something like that. So I was thinking that there might be more on that. And I had also thought that like maybe I don't know why like Finn was the one that like I latched on. I don't think I had any notions about Ray, but like I had all these Finn yeah. theories. Like I had this feeling that like Finn might have like some sort of like Han style arc where he was like we were gonna get to the second act, like and he was gonna get like put into some sort of peril, like maybe he was gonna get like captured by the first order and like impressed back into service or something like that i was thinking in that direction like maybe like he was gonna have his like han and carbonite moment where like like the bad guys are gonna take him back but yeah i didn't have any like theories about like oh is because i know like there are people speaking about like is ray like actually luke's daughter or like is she like related to han and leia in some way like and i didn't have any of those theories yeah yeah, I feel like for a while I was kind of questioning. I'm like, are are Ray and Kylo related? Like, are they siblings? Like, I had I had that thought. It also like I think that's the reason it took for it took me a while to like really consider them like romantically involved at all because it was like in my head I'm like, but are they related? Like, I couldn't right. I couldn't figure it out. I <laughs> we were gonna get another like Luke Leia thing in the third act. <laughs> yeah. I did also think mainly because of that like last line we get from Snoke, like I thought there was going to be like something with like him and Kylo where we might get some like dark side training because he ends that he ends the movie basically saying like it's time to complete his training. Oh, yeah. So I thought like, oh, like, is there going to be something where like we're going to see like Kylo like getting deeper into the dark side or like Snoke having to train him more? Yeah. So I was thinking also in that direction, like, yeah. But yeah, other than that, like I didn't have any clear like theories or notions or expectations about where I thought the trilogy was going to go. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just excited we were getting more Star Wars. <laughs> yes, I think yeah. I think it was pretty much there too. I was like, yeah, there's more movies. So, um, any kind of final thoughts, wrap ups about the Force Awakens? Anything that we haven't brought up? I. 
personally think this is my favorite movie of the sequel trilogy to rewatch. I think The Last Jedi is my favorite movie, but for some reason, The Force Awakens is so such a fun rewatch for me. Only I mostly I think because there's just so many great moments that I love. And like I just love talking about this movie. I just love like I, I think the memories associated with like it being such a big deal in the fact that like it was the first new movie in this new era that we were getting and there was so much excitement around it and like it really didn't disappoint like you're like i am one of those people who like tries to like go in with no expectations so that i'm not disappointed but like i was really really hyped up for this movie at the time and like it was everything that i hoped it would be and more and i think that really just sticks with me like every time i rewatch it just it just being so important for the future of the franchise moving forward and everything we've you know seen and seen since then and will continue to see so i'm really 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 glad that we got to talk about it yeah me too there is something about like there's something about those first installments in the trilogies yeah there's something like special about all of them even phantom menace which spent a lot of time getting maligned but now it's had it's like renaissance yeah like all of them a new hope phantom menace force awakens they all have that like special singular quality that makes them kind of different from either of the f- movies that follow them. Yeah. And yeah, I'm totally with you about rewatchability. It is for me the most rewatchable Star Wars movie. Yeah. It's the movie that like, if I'm doing something or whatever, I can just like, it's the movie you can just put on in the background and yeah. like have it going and just like check in every now and then. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's for me, like I would peg it as for me, like it is the most fun Star Wars movie. Like that's where it is for me. Yeah. Maybe also the funniest in my opinion. Yeah. I would agree with that. There's, there's a lot of just great humor. I I mentioned this early in the conversation. Like I think it's the best paced star Wars movie. Mm -hmm. It really has like little to no let up. Like it grabs you from the beginning and then holds you all the way to the very end. Exactly. So yeah, it is just like, it's, it's such a great movie to like rewatch and, and to revisit and, I just enjoy, I enjoy talking about it as well. So I'm, I'm glad that we were able to do an episode on it for this anniversary and really kind of go back to it and revisit it. So to basically wrap things up, I've got two final things to ask you. So the first thing I want to ask you is to recommend to the listeners a piece of Star Wars media that you think people should check out. And this could be anything, one of the movies, TV shows, book, comic, whatever. Oh, there's so many good things. Canon, legends, whatever. <laughs> Honestly, I, because I can't narrow it down, watch all of Star Wars Rebels if you haven't. And okay, because here's the thing. Like, I was skeptical about it at first because like, yes, I loved the Clone Wars, but like, it's an animated show that was like on Disney XD for kids. And so you're like, but what is this going to be like? Like, you don't know. It is some of the best Star Wars storytelling that I have ever seen, and it just gets better and better as it goes on. It's like it, it's a time investment for sure. There are four seasons. It's emotionally draining, admittedly, but I draw on it still today for like so many of my Star Wars things um, and so many of the themes that I love so much, and it has so many relatable characters in it, and I just just watch the whole thing. I mean, you can watch it if you have seen the Clone Wars. You can technically watch it if you haven't. Like it's it's a 
it's an enriched experience if you have seen the Clone Wars first. But um, please, if you are hesitant about watching it or you're like, no, I'm not going to watch it, do it anyway. Like people say that like the first season is not that great, but like it's fine. And then it just keeps getting better. So like you'll be fine. Just please watch it. So I have more and more people to talk to about it because I love that. Regular listeners of the show will know that I will 100% second that endorsement of Star Wars Rebels. <laughs> for anyone who's listening to this for, to the show for the first time, I did an entire episode on Star Wars Rebels with Forced Host. Please go check yes. that out, that episode where we like yes. deep dive the entire show. So yeah, Star Wars Rebels, very, very good. Definitely watch it if you haven't. If you have watched it, go rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, I've rewatched it. More than I've rewatched any other show ever. Yeah, I've rewatched it twice this year. <laughs> there are a few episodes that I've seen many, many, many more times, but like full rewatches are still so good. Yes, totally. And then the last thing, plug away. Where can people find you? It is easiest for me to say you can find me on Twitter at MegDowell because that is where all of my things are. But, um, you know, what What I'm going to recommend really depends on like what you're into. Like if you want to get more into uh, the expanded universe, especially the books, um, check out Utini. We have, we have guides like on specific characters, like whatever you like in Star Wars, there is a gateway for you to find a book or a comic or a TV show or a reference book that will teach you more about that thing that you like. And then you can branch off into other things. That is what Utini is for. You're bringing you into the Star Wars that you like and expanding your love of that thing. And th- there's something for everyone. And I highly recommend that you start with our um, our top five list of top five Star Wars books or our getting started guide if you want to read the books but have no idea where to begin because there are hundreds of them and it's very overwhelming. Also, highly, highly recommend you check out Project Stardust because we are still new in this space of many, many people making Star Wars content things. But our mission is really to let underrepresented voices in this fandom yell about Star Wars because we love it. And that's what we do. And we talk about everything from porgs and um, cosplay and things like that to like reactions to new shows being announced and uh, a woman directing a Star Wars movie for the first time. So, you know, anyone is welcome to check out what we're doing and like, we'd love to talk to you about the Star Wars that you like. So like, those are two things that I love doing that I think you'd love too. All right. Awesome. So on that note, we will wrap things up. So thank you, Meg, for coming on the show and for talking Force Awakens with me. Yeah, this is great. Let's do it again. Definitely. So what to expect on the next episode? Episode 12 will drop on January 3rd, the first episode of 2021. And on that episode, I will be taking a look back at the recently completed second season of The Mandalorian and doing a full breakdown. I'll talk about some of the themes and motifs of the second season, some of the narrative decisions that were made and the various responses to them, and maybe do some speculating on what we might see in season three. Until then, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Please rate and review the show if you can. A Larger View of the Force is on Twitter at A Larger View Pod. I'm also on Twitter at Demondum. And until next time, look for the Force and you'll always find me.